My name is Matt Brown. Tell me, I walk into a room, problem solved. And let's start the show. I'll be back. everybody the world is a better place because you are here to join us my name is matt brown and i am the host of the productive conversations podcast it is thursday november 4th 2021 and we have an amazing show for you all today and before we get into the amazing things known as an epic productive conversation with will hessert i just want to remind you to like and subscribe to the productive conversations podcast on all podcasting platforms and youtube and don't forget to check out exclusive content regarding this show on ProductiveConversationsPodcast.com. And don't forget to check us out in the world of social media. We're on Instagram at Productive Conversations Podcast. We're on Twitter at ProdConvoPod. We're on TikTok at Productive Conversations. I hope everybody had a wonderful week. Since we last talked, I saw the New York Giants embarrass themselves by losing to the Kansas City Chiefs with so many open opportunities with such poor play by Kansas City's offense and our defense looking promising for once. We could not take advantage, and we lost an embarrassing game on Monday night. And I'm going to be there on Sunday against uh, against the Las Vegas Raiders. And here's the bottom line. If they lose against the Raiders, I will officially be the biggest Joe Judge, Joe Judge hater. He looks incompetent. Seems he has no integrity. He seems like a big bullshitter with so many dumb cliches that you just can't get your head around. I mean... The team doesn't seem motivated. This guy doesn't know when to throw a challenge flag. And I was there against Denver at the beginning of the season, him wasting a timeout, not knowing when to throw a challenge flag, having his offensive personnel especially not know what the hell they're doing or doing the same slant routes and having nothing with it. I mean, this guy is just just seems dumb and making excuses about the headsets not working. Like, bro, you're the... You're the motherfucking head coach of the New York Giants, and you were telling us that big changes are coming, and that shit doesn't matter one bit because we've turned into literally the biggest laughing stock in the National Football League. I mean, you have the Detroit Lions who haven't won a game this year, and people are more confident in them, in them than the Giants. What a disgrace we're watching, and things better change this Sunday against the Raiders. Baseball's over, and we're going to do a baseball wrap-up show at some point at the end of the month. We have politics things going on. Governors are changing. Mayors are changing. All that. Lots taking place in this world. And another thing I do have to bring up, I know we had we were supposed to have the rocket, science, the rocket scientists on for today. Um, He wasn't able to make our recording, so we shall have him up again towards the end of the month. We have scheduled a new time to record. It's going to be epic with uh, my good friend who works at NASA. But that doesn't mean we're not going to have an amazing show today. Will Hessert is back on the show. He is bold. He is brash. He's controversial. He is the fucking man. And I'm a big fan of Will Hessert, no matter what he does, he always does it with integrity. This guy has a lot to say, and yeah, you might 
be hearing the stuff he says and you might say fuck this guy you might be hearing the stuff he says and you say preach bro preach bottom line he doesn't fall to anybody he's strong and confident with his opinions and this dude is exactly what i wanted in a podcast guess he has stories he's opinionated and he's not afraid to talk and we're gonna appreciate every single second when we hear him right now also assuming that things went well i haven't heard the update yet but will's wife is go was going into labor the evening of when we were recording the show yesterday so we recorded the show about 11 in the morning yesterday and he talks about it in the show that he expects his wife to give birth later that night so assuming everything went well and the baby's healthy i just want to give early congratulations to will hesser and his wife for welcoming for welcoming a new baby girl in this world so that's really exciting i was kind of hoping that if we were recording and he had to leave to uh, go to the hospital as his wife was giving birth that would have been a cool podcasting moment but instead we got oh pretty much two and a half hours of epic productive conversation material where things get deep things get emotional and things become real this is about to be one real authentic podcast so let's enjoy it well hester it's your turn once again here we go this is a very productive conversation First of all, we have a great friend of the show back on. Will Hester is here again, the Renaissance man, the entrepreneur, now turning into a content creator himself. And hear this, everybody. Will's wife is just about to be labored. You just spoke to the doctor and they said any hour now, projecting eight hours in the next eight hours, right? Yeah. So uh, we went to an 840 appointment this morning. And the doctor's like, yeah, like eight to 10 hours, you'll be in active labor. So I'm like constantly like checking, like, is anyone calling me? Is anyone calling me? So this might be a super short podcast, but. (laughs) Hey, um, this is a rare time where that's totally okay, man. And thank you for taking the time for, um, you know, doing this as you wait for your, the the, uh, birth of your second child. And yeah, again, if Will has to go, we obviously know why, but we're prepared for all things. And hopefully this can be a nice distraction for him um, until the, big night news so by the time this airs so we're recording on wednesday as it airs on thursday the fourth you'll likely have a new child how does that make you feel will i'm kind of nervous uh, <laughs> <laughs> so because it was kind of like unexpected i'm like all right what do i do when i'm having this first child and now that there's a second one mm-hmm. like our toddler like got out of her bed walked into our room like three times last night which is already kind of annoying like joe's Mm -hmm. trying to sleep what happens when there's a newborn in that room that you are now waking up when you come into mom and dad's room so we'll uh we'll see i i imagine i don't know i'm trying to figure out the logistics of having two kids and i guess we'll just figure it out but yeah a little nervous but excited 
Yeah, well, of course, if anyone could pull it off, it's you. Well, we all know you're definitely a great father and inspiration as always. And man, this is really exciting. Congratulations to you and your wife. And wow, this is cool. You were we we're going to have footage for the rest of time exactly where you were right before the birth of your second child. And when YouTube is uh, merged with some other company and you it's going to be AR YouTube at that point. We'll go look at you. She'll look back at this and say, hey, this was the moment right before I was born. Right. She'll watch it in the metaverse or whatever uh, that is. Yeah, <laughs> dude. Uh, this is really exciting, man. And uh, we'll keep you as a nice distraction until uh, the big news. So thank you for joining us again, man. We're so happy. Yeah, Will Will Hester, one of my favorites, man. How are you doing otherwise besides uh, another big life? on the verge of another big life moment. <laughs> oh yeah. So I guess outside of, of that groundbreaking thing. So, <laughs> um, Javon and I started a company that's focused on carbon capture technology, yes. which is essentially reversing climate change. You take CO2 out of the atmosphere and you sequester it safely in the ground or in useful products. And Elon Musk went to the XPRIZE Foundation and said, all right, here's $100 million and do a four-year competition on whoever can make the best technology. So we entered that competition and kind of the first leg of it is 15 teams, whoever's the top 15 teams at this time, they all get a million dollars. No equity, no taxes, nothing. It's just, here's a grant. Look at um, that. That would be helpful. So we're kind of sprinting towards that. The deadline for the submission on that is February 1st. And not only mm -hmm. do you need like a 15 page technical proposal, but you also need a working prototype. Um, so we're kind of scrambling for that while I'm about to have another child while other things going on. So I think I'm exhausted. Like if I really just have to, like I just turned 25 on Monday. Well, happy belated birthday. Thank you. And I just like the way I hear people talk on their 50th birthday. I'm like, I get that. It's like, <laughs> is this my life? Like, I don't want to die at 50. Like, geez. <laughs> but we don't want I, that either. A lot of caffeine. So these next 90 days are kind of going to be interesting. Uh, like 16 hour days sprinting towards this massive deadline, but also having a newborn. So we'll see. It'll, it'll be, it'll be good. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure that too. Again, well, you know, I could compliment you all day, but with your hard work ethic and your drive, you just are a part of a breed that figures it out and lots of respect to you for that. And we could go back to the, the hundreds of thorough entrepreneurs who raise a family while creating a great thing for this world. Steve Jobs, with he had an illegitimate, I mean, yours isn't illegitimate, but you know, he had that, um, you know. Thank God. I, I threw <laughs> an illegitimate child on top of the legitimate ones. Like, oh, you <laughs> surprise money. You got to. You got to deal with baby mama drama, like your baby mama's fighting with your what? And like, no, no, no. no. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But bottom line is you got the juice to figure it all out and prove you're an ultimate multitasker. And, you know, hitting on that, uh, how do you feel? What do you think is your secret to being an ultimate multitasker like this? Handling your career, your family and all your other endeavors. How do you pull it off? I mean, my first statement is going to be very controversial. Um, 
marry the right woman. Like hey. that is a huge factor or the right man or the right. If, if I offend someone, I don't actually give a shit. They can grow up. Um, <laughs> it's a matter of, because if your partner, if you have a, a partner mm-hmm. in that, in your raising a family, you need to make sure before you commit to something like marriage, which legally speaking is the most significant thing you can do other than dying. Um, yeah. And especially as, as a guy uh, marrying a woman, like you got to look at how a lot of these divorce settlements end up going. Mm-hmm. So you really need to be careful in terms of is the person that I'm marrying, do they share my vision, support my vision? Uh, they don't necessarily need to be doing the work with you. Um, sorry, I think I just lost it after half a second because the bank is calling me. Not my wife, though, so we're good. But you know, they don't need to be doing the work with you necessarily, but they need to be understanding that you're doing the work that you're doing. Yeah. So that's probably the first. The second is for me. So I, I think there are some people who can genuinely just like work 18 hours a day and they're just wired that way. And good for them, man. Um, for me, the way I look at it is if I was going into the gym and you told me like eight years ago, you got to deadlift four plates. I'd be like, huh. Uh, but you can build up to that over time. So for most people, like if you're trying to run a business, well, have a nine to five job and then Mm -hmm. work on something on the side for an hour a day. Awesome. You've now gone from 40 hours a week to like 45. Now try to up that, try to up that, try to up that. And you can turn yourself into someone who can work 70, 80 hours a week fairly consistently, but if you're not able to do it like right away, just don't beat yourself up about it. It's a muscle and you have to work it out. There are obviously people who are born entrepreneurial Olympians, mm-hmm. but it's one of the few areas where unlike in athletics, even if you're not like there's, there's no reality in which I play professional sports. There's just no way that I could ever do that. Yeah, not um, even the most mundane. You can't make the curling team, Will? No, dude, I, I couldn't. No curling, no cricket. Um, <laughs> definitely no rugby. That is not mundane. Oh <laughs> Those are most vicious. <laughs> but, oh, dude, it's like, hey, what if we did football, but without the safety equipment? Yeah. Um, actually, there are less serious injuries from it, though, ironically. But, mm. yeah, it's... So make sure you have the right partner, work up to the work ethic, and most importantly, know why you're doing it. Because like, if you're just going to work hard to get a Lambo, like there's, there's no car that's worth, if, if you have started a business so that you can be rich and you haven't gone into significant debt to, to do so, I highly recommend you shut your business down and you just go get a job. It's just not. Yeah. It's horrible. It's one of the worst things you'll ever do. So you need to have something that's actually worth the pain. Like having a newborn sucks, but you get a kid out of it. That gets to grow like these big islands. Yeah. So 
you, the, the pain is at least in my opinion worth it. So, you know, a business is, you will almost be as attached to it as a child. Um, it, it's pretty close. You know, you pick your kids over the business, but like, you know, it's, it's <laughs> up there. So you need to make sure that you know why you're doing whatever you're doing. And these people who work like a hundred hours a week just to make money. I'm like, ah, ooh, I don't, I don't get it. Um, yeah. You're wasting a life, even the leisurely things. And for those, I think I, I've noticed, I feel like there was a time even maybe five years ago, they really encourage you to work as much as you can. And then people realize, yeah, that's not healthy for your brain. And that's not healthy for your body. And you're wound up not performing the best because you're tired. You can't move. There's a reason why that, you know, of course, don't be lazy with it. But you, we really need rest and relaxation, even as humans, because how can we focus and develop new ideas if we're just so gung-ho on going in one direction? It's not possible. Yeah. I mean, like SpaceX and Tesla, excuse me, they have a culture of like 70, 80 hours a week, go, go, go. But people work there like for three to five years. It's not, there are very few people who work there forever. I mean, Elon is just, uh, he's an interesting character in (laughs) in his rarity. Uh, I mean, like just reading about like the different routines of billionaires. Like most of them are like, I sleep nine hours a night. Like I don't make an important decision until 11 AM. And then Elon's just like, yeah, I'm up at seven. I chug black coffee and I go to the rocket factory and work there until like 10 PM. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. Like, yeah. Okay. Is it literally built different Elon Musk? <laughs> I mean, he's now the richest guy on the planet. He is as of yesterday, one Bill Gates more than Jeff Bezos. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, what? Suck it. <laughs> uh, speaking, life, loser. speaking of that, you know, while we're on topic of Elon Musk, you he had a viral tweet earlier in the week. Mind if I get the exact tweet one second, but regarding world hunger, as people Dude, said, that was a tweet. Yeah, if if in fact, what do you mind explaining to us what he, exactly he was talking about? I can read the exact tweet, but um, when yeah. it comes, um, yeah, so, well, tell us why. What was up with Elon Musk? Why did he go viral earlier in this week? I I watched this like, unfold on Twitter, like <laughs> like that the the original dude's tweet popped up and then I saw like Elon replied and Elon and it was, I'm like, Oh my God, this guy went there. So <laughs> there's a, a criticism levied against Elon Musk where essentially two ish percent of his net worth could be used to end world hunger, which is asinine. Um, mm, yeah, that's pretty bold. He, he can't just write a check uh, for people who's assuming that. Right. Well, even it's also not a matter of money necessarily. I mean, you can send food aid to a country that has a corrupt dictator that's holding back food supplies to keep the population in check. Like there are. Yeah, they're like, this is mine now. Yeah. And, you know, say you feed a bunch of people. Great. What do they do next month? There there is greater complexity in solving these issues. Um, So the U.N., uh, or at least a director in the UN had been pushing that 
you know, 2% of his net worth. So Elon said, like, let's pretend my net worth is 300 billion, which it was less than that. You know, 2% of that is $6 billion. If you can provide me a plan to end world hunger for $6 billion, I will sell $6 billion worth of Tesla stock immediately. And I will give you the money. Yeah. But the accounting has to be open source and we have to know where the money is going. Mm. And here's where it got insane. Mm. He then also asks, by the way, what was up with this? And shares an article about UN aid workers demanding sex from refugees that they were feeding to actually get their food. Some of them as young as nine. God damn. And I I was curious because I wanted to look into this. So first off, the UN's food program has a budget over $8 billion every single year. That's weird because there's still world hunger. But within the program, there have been thousands of complaints of child sexual abuse. That's With no accountability. And this is why you have freaking... QAnon groups being like there are pedophiles run the world like yeah you're not helping the cause with you hear these reports I mean maybe Bill Clinton shouldn't get on a plane with a guy who has a child sex island 26 Mm -hmm. times maybe that doesn't like I'm not saying QAnon conspiracies are true I firmly believe China did not invade Maine. Uh, I'm like super convinced <laughs> that, that did not happen. <laughs> um, yeah, study show. But, you know, often with conspiracies, like if you look into um, 9-11, uh, some 9-11 conspiracies go wild. They're like, aliens did it. I'm like, uh, yeah, you couldn't they- see the windows on the plane. Like, I don't know, my dad was five blocks away. He saw the windows in the plane, bro. It's just when a plane is, is moving quick, it can be difficult to, to perceive. Exactly. The, it doesn't happen too often. And, you know, exactly. You could go all day with it. When the government removes entire sections of the 9-11 report. And what probably happened that is, is that there were officials in the Saudi government that funded the 9-11 terrorist attacks through Al Qaeda. And the U.S. government was hiding it because our relationship with Saudi Arabia is what allows the U.S. dollar to remain supreme, which is a whole complex thing. <laughs> But the fact that you're covering up that one part, now you have people who are like, it was aliens. Exactly. You you know, you make a strong point when it comes to the conspiracy theorists. Now, I'm somebody who generally, even in the most ridiculous realms, I'm willing to hear people out. Of course, I have my opinions and I have my logic, but I'm willing to hear how people come up with point A to point B, their method of what they're thinking. And yes, when you have things that are clearly manipulated documents changed people's opinions okay i understand now footage can be manipulative and now with the rise of deep fake media you could really make anybody seem or sound or do anything but i'm not that i'm uh supporting or you know giving credit to a conspiracy theorist with the most ridiculous theories but when you have this genuine information out there clearly clearly manipulated and changed you could only you could understand why people come up with the most ridiculous things, you know? Yeah. I mean, like people saying like Sandy Hook was fake. I, that, I find that yeah, particularly that- interesting. It's like, especially people that, if there's anyone that we know that, that says that, I'm like, 
you know, it was like 25 minutes up the road. Um, exactly. I remember that day at, right at school. Oh. It was a Friday right before Christmas in the time. And yeah, that, we all probably in our where we grew up in Fairfield County, Connecticut, new new towns, the next county over. We most likely knew somebody who or at least knew somebody who was sadly affected by it. And yeah, it's crazy that when people come up with that, I don't think people would sacrifice a child to to, um, you know, help a political agenda. That's my opinion. That's why I don't. Oh, no, people do that all those. the time. Um, it's called drone strikes. Uh, we do it <laughs> uh, all day, every day. Yes, um, in that version. But I'm saying domestic. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. No. Yeah, but. Uh, I, I was in a class where that was actually in effect because I, I won't name names because it was a, a pretty um, mm -hmm. intense experience. But the teachers who the teachers class I was in, the uh, it was her husband's birthday that day, and he was a paramedic oh. in Newtown and was the first one to arrive on scene. Mm. So like whatever horrific, unbelievable gore and horror was in that elementary school like he was the first one in on yeah. his birthday. Um, yeah, he sadly saw it himself. Yeah, so I'd, I'd be interested to see what um, a reaction of someone who saw that themselves would say to it being fake. But then you also have to look at, right. well, why are people willing to believe this? Well, sometimes it's genuinely untreated mental illness is, is what leads to conspiracy theories. But sometimes... Mm -hmm. It's because we have, like, there was a, a study done by Harvard and the CIA jointly. Um, to quote Thomas Sowell, anytime something terrible happens in the world, there was always a man from Harvard somehow involved. Uh, so there was a study done to test what huge embarrassment does to people. So I believe the study was, and I'm probably getting a little bit of the details of the study off, but that they would uh, have subjects express like their deepest insecurities and like things that they're embarrassed about. And then uh, to a therapist who would then take them into another room with a large crowd of people, read these things to the people. The people would laugh at them repeatedly for sessions. Oh my God. What a, what a, one of the subjects, what a study. The Unabomber was one of the subjects. Mm. So the CIA and Harvard helped make the Unabomber, the man who kept sending bombs to oh. universities. Yep. And he was on the run for 17 years. When I worked at CNN, I did a I worked on a documentary on the Unabomber. I know a lot of random Ooh. things about him. Yeah. You probably know more about him than me, but that's the part that always gets left out. So CIA look doing did. experiments and now boom, you got a guy mailing bombs <laughs> to places that represented the embarrassment. So I guess we mm -hmm. have our answer on what huge repeated embarrassment does at least to, he seemed like a psychopathic narcissist, but I guess if you take a psychopathic narcissist and then hit them with extreme embarrassment, violence You're creating is a monster welcome yeah yeah like if you've seen joker joaquin Ver phoenix's version of it that's exactly what happened record it's fiction I but still seen and i oh. i am upset that i i have it it's it's difficult to see movies when you're married because you have <laughs> to watch a movie 
I got to see two movies this weekend, though, that are Ooh. not up my wife's alley. So I'm blessed. I got Which to ones? see Dune and the new James Bond. And I Ooh. love both. To death. I was going to oh. ask, what did you think? Did you um did, did you see these in theaters or? Yeah. Um, OK, it's, I heard Dude is the place theater. to see in theaters. Yeah. I mean, both times. And I would say James Bond as well. And I love that Hans Zimmer did the music for both. I'm like, my guy, where do you get this time? But <laughs> the Dune soundtrack was, oh, I, Dune was just, because I thought it was the best looking sci-fi film I ever saw, but I kind of kept that to myself because it felt like a hyperbole. And I saw all these reviews that were like, this is the best looking sci-fi film of all time. Like, oh, thank God, I'm not just Yeah, it was one. really hyped and they said that this book was unadaptable. They tried in the 80s and it looks like an 80s sci-fi joke. But, you know, the great body, Dennis Villeneuve, and uh, you co- combine that with huge A-listers, your Timothy Chalmers and Dana. And yeah, look what you could pull off. And I heard nothing but great things. And I heard you have to see the theaters. That's the thing. Reckon it's He's available. One HBO of the best West. directors, I think, of, of our time. Um, One thousand percent. Sicario and Arrival are also two of my favorites. And Blade this Runner is a crime because I'm a giant sci-fi fan, but I still have managed to not see Blade Runner 2049, which is... Oh, come on, Will. I know. I Sometimes I look in the mirror in the morning when I wake up. It's like, today's going to be a good day. And then my subconscious is like, bro, you still haven't seen Blade Runner 2049. I'm like, you're right. I'm a piece of shit. I'll go back to bed. <laughs> Another... Theater, theater watch you must do to justify the, uh, you know, yeah. the spectacular filmmaking production details. Are, and, are you named one? Oh, I would say with Blade 40, Blade 2049, you have to watch it in the theaters to have it justified what you're checking out. Any of his. And <laughs> even if you it's he's a great genre hopper from Sicario, this hardcore thriller drug cartel to Dune created proven you know adapting this sci-fi this complex sci-fi written novel into what seems to be a masterpiece at the moment then you have he did prisoners which is just a cute crazy who done it mystery as you yeah. said arrival this this really simple another great sci-fi but very simple and talking about communications and stuff like that and um yeah Dennisville in a wave is turning into a real household name. He, because while the genres are so different from like who kidnapped my daughter to what do these aliens want to let's <laughs> go these cartels to uh, questions about replicants to, yeah. um, to the year 10,000. And there's a debate between great houses and the uh, universal Imperium. Like, very different, but it's always a journey of the soul. And mm-hmm. I mean, Dune was obviously setting up for a much longer series of movies, but Dune is a very complex um, world. But like, it was obvious that was starting the journey of this boy who's you know thrust with all this responsibility and like a messianic role. Sicario is following the journey of a woman realizing how little she's able to actually change the injustices around yeah. her. Uh, arrival in uh, this journey of accepting whether or not the future is deterministic. Like it's always this deep 
psychological journey. And the one thing that's always the same about the movies is it's always like quiet and kind of self-reflective. And then, holy shit, people are shooting each other on the border. (laughs) Calm again. So it's just this calm, introspective explosion. Whoa. Calm, introspective. So it's like... It's like old Christopher Nolan, old Christopher Nolan, Michael Bay, old Christopher <laughs> Nolan, old Christopher Nolan, you know? And it's, I, I love his movies. He's, he's up there and, and some of my all-time faves up there with uh, Nolan Tarantino um, for me. He's, and he's young too. He's like 40. Yeah. Like he just started his career, like you said, later in the game. And I mean, he really is. He's also Canadian. Fun fact, you know, so shouts to Canada. They're probably thrilled to have their special art tour filmmaker. And yeah, well, actually here it says he's 54, but he started in his 40s. I thought he was 40. Oh, he looks good. Hey, good job, Dennis. Good job, <laughs> great. That's in care, man. You're killing it. Well, like 54 for a director, like isn't um, crazy because it, it takes so long to even get into oh, that yeah. arena. Um, Ridley Scott's first, first movie was was Alien, and he was 40 when that started, and now he's working in his late 80s. So shows wow. you. I, I will not rewatch any of the Aliens until I'm done having kids, because watching a kid like, uh, kind of pop their head out, and I'm like, no, stop! Oh, uh, going to kill my wife. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like, like you said, this guy... It's going to be fascinating as an art tour to look at now, especially just killed in the 2010s. And bottom line, there are relatable characters in these very entertaining but complex settings that he creates. And we saw now it's official that Dune Part 2 will come out in 2023. So they'll probably focus all the time on that. That was just greenlit earlier in the week. And yeah, man, they need, it's just awesome people worried about where the film industry was going to go during the pandemic. Well, we see theaters are adjusted are just fine. They're in a good spot. Sure. You'll have more options with streaming services, but bottom line content creation will always key. And when we're focused on filmmaking, people still love their stories and you just prove how great it is that I assume, was that your first time back in a theater since the pandemic started? was yeah See? i and think that was a big big worry it was also just that movies were also really starting to suck um yeah was a big issue and i think i mean some of it was and look full disclosure there is nothing wrong with a movie being led by female protagonists like not at all it's kind of obvious of they're setting they were Stoking the flames for the next 007 to be a female in uh, the most recent movie. Mm-hmm. And I, I have no problems with it. But can you just like make a James Bond film with a woman lead and not change anything about it? Like, well, no, because that doesn't make any sense. James Bond is the ultimate male fantasy. You have yeah. to. So they like took like, let's take the oceans trilogy and like, let's just do it. But like with women and it's like, it was, it was okay. You know, but it's yeah, like, that's not the you, point. You're, you you're, have, it's, you have to bring something original on top of the fact that you're doing it with women. Keyword it original. Can't just be look, 
we want women. Like, no, that's, and it almost does a disservice to the inclusivity and the inclusivity, sure, yeah. that you're trying to create by making the movies that exist to further that not great. I mean, just- exactly. You're, you're proving the point that Hollywood's just recycling old ideas. And even if you're trying to make it woke, well, there's a reason why sequels don't in general work out. We've seen it before. There's nothing new added to it. You're just changing people's names, in this case, gender characters. And you are doing a disservice. It, there's so many talented female leads out there and they should have their own story to adapt. You can't do James Bond and make it Jane Bond. You have yeah. to create a whole new spy. You don't know, have it not really connected to James Bond. Don't do Austin Powers either. You just do your own, you know, like the Tomb Raider series, for instance. Like that's a completely original Perfect. idea that, you know, they didn't have to remake or change. I mean, the movie's OK, but, you know. But Lara Croft is a badass. Exactly. Like I, a, a and Tomb Raider could be very well done um, if if they wanted to remake it. But there was actually a big criticism toward the new trilogy of Star Wars that people were like, well, people don't like it because it, it features a strong female lead. Like, time out. No. Number one, it's not a strong female lead. This character doesn't make any sense. If the yeah. fact that... I feel bad for ever giving the prequels shit, given that they would have never, ever used a line in the prequels. Somehow, Palpatine returned. I have not finished the ninth <laughs> movie. It's just... It was so it. bad... And I was like, I will maybe start to give nine a chance. And like a few minutes in, I'm like, I just, I was watching it during the day. And like, I'm not a big fan of day drinking. And that's mm-hmm. the only way I'd be able to get through it. But like <laughs> Rogue One, a Disney Star Wars movie, female lead, kick-ass movie. Absolutely. Awesome. Like Jane Erso was a great character. That was, I enjoyed that movie quite a bit. Was it perfect? No. They cut, they, I had obviously plan to do some things that they ended up cutting out. Like, um, what, what is your relationship with Saul Guerrero? And like, it, it seemed like they had to cut some stuff out for time that removed some parts of the plot, but I will still watch that over and over again. Cause it rocks with a female lead. Mm-hmm. So it has nothing to do with that. And I feel, and it's funny cause you can actually see this because it's a day after election day, after a big democratic upset in Virginia, it seems oh. like, and when soon New Jersey don't too. go the way people want, it's almost always, well, it was sexism, it was racism, it was this, it was that, it was this, it was that. And it's like, guys, 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 or, or maybe you're the problem. Maybe we don't hate that you have a strong female lead in Star Wars. Maybe you're just a terrible writer. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's key. Well, key. You can't get mad at the film. You got to be mad at the filmmaker. And, that's who ultimately decides. That's why as I get older and being in within the production industry, it's somewhat makes sense when projects are critically panned. You see a set where a director's not trying. You see a set where things are chaotic. You know, people aren't putting emphasis on the leads. That's why they say a great director can make a shitty script into a great movie, but you can't make a shitty script into you can't make a um Oh, sorry, let me try that again. A great director 
can make a shitty script into a good movie. A bad director can't make a can fuck up a bad a great script and take it to a bad movie. It's right. right there. You have the blueprint. If you do it this way, this will be a good movie. But people mess it, fake it. People try to improvise. People try to put this, that, and the other. They use the budget incorrectly. It's all right there, and that's why the great writing will always stick out. But it's the you know, it's the. It's just the integrity that will change it once and for all. So hence, to bring this all back, when people were mad at Star Wars, you can't just, especially the prequel trilogies, which were pretty much just the original trilogy with new characters. I think that was the biggest flaw. They weren't a big original ideas. Shit on the prequels are bad movies, but at least they were somewhat different. See the uh, what I like to call now the Vilquel, how we saw Anakin Skywalker be created. And we're seeing a lot of those movies now. Joker, Better Call Saul. Um, I, I like the Vil- uh, Revenge of the Sith was a good movie. It honestly. really was. I'll it find was- I'm at that hill. Um, <laughs> I have the higher watching The internal struggle. Um, maybe I'm just distracted by the fact that number one, the greatest lightsaber fights of all time. Number two, John Williams went hard. Mm -hmm. And number three, the meme potential. Like, Yeah, that's how do you market a movie now, meme potential. You have to consider that. Every time, like, a political extremist on any side says something um, absolutely, like, insane without any kind of nuance, I just think of Obi-Wan going, only a Sith deals in absolutes. Do I do what I want. (laughs) Oh, man, you made a great point, too. The best lightsaber battles were in the prequel trilogy. I mean, the final one, the best shit that was as hype as you could get. And none of the original trilogy or the second trilogy justified that. That was just you just felt right there. This is good versus evil one time. And uh, we know what happened. He just, you know, you know, he gave him enough time to be saved. But, you yeah. know, that's the point. As a hero, he can't necessarily kill, but um, he won't do a mercy kill like that. And then you have Darth Vader. Yeah. Yeah, the the New Hope Obi-Wan versus Vader. Oh, my God. They did that. It shows they didn't know what, they, what the potential they had, dude. It it looks like because they're like older now, they're struggling to get their lightsaber up, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Always I one need... of my favorite jokes is the fact that it is a prequel and yet the technology somehow got worse <laughs> as time <laughs> went by. And then they Man, got good again. Know, since the Empire came, the quality of life in the galaxy has really gone down. Remember when we were all able to do backflips and... Uh, <laughs> I haven't seen one person do a flip in over 10 years. We got to support this rebellion. Maybe they'll bring back the technology. But then they tried to add technology and they're like, well, Greedo's going to shoot first. I'm like, no, 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 no. Han shot first. Han shot first. But this is an issue of when you're dealing with like Disney and all these because Disney. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you have to make sure everything is child friendly. Now, Will they 
work with the organization in China that is committing genocide against the Uyghurs to help get their Mulan movie done? Of course. But what's genocide? Who cares? When's the last time a Uyghur went to Disney World? You know, fuck them. But the kids... We got to get them there. And the amount of money I have to spend because my daughter is obsessed with Minnie Mouse. It's like, man, this is a racket and it works. I hate them, but I also want to not make my daughter's life miserable. And here's where you have to mm-hmm. compromise values in order to be a parent. Um, yeah, fuck Disney. Um, but, you know, an organization founded... Uh, by an insane anti-Semite might not grow into the thing that we all want it to be. Uh, yeah, where's where's Twitter trying to cancel Walt Disney? This is a perfect target on who to cancel, but we they don't want to admit, well, I, I love Disney World. I Even though this was created by a monster, technically, I mean, in the sense of his, like you said, anti-Semite racist, that's considered a monster. Yeah, he created yeah. this whole world. It's essentially built on a lie but hey dude we should cancel henry ford like ford motors should be canceled by that logic he handed out pamphlets during world war one about how the war was a jewish conspiracy like that's you know like him and hitler probably would have like really gotten along in the 20s and 30s very similar opinions yeah it Um, it shows that we're selective in cancel culture because disney is perfect you know most of that woke crowd probably loves disney disney plus is their life yet we're uh denying it so hey what what are you gonna do like i have this i had this guest on huge disney fan and you know she said very controversial things in the what what could be considered controversial to a certain group, right? Mm-hmm. And um, respecting her opinions and stuff. But yet, you know, she calls out for woke culture all the time. But I know she's the biggest Disney freak in the world. And I would love to have a genuine conversation and say, listen, guest, <laughs> um, you say all these things, but you're a huge Disney fan. And I'm... I would just like to know what would you think because Walt Disney, it's there's much evidence to show that he wasn't doesn't didn't have the same values the woke culture tries to um, promote and stuff. He wasn't inclusive. He was a socialite. He was again repeat again. He was proven to be racist and, and anti-Semitic. Do you think Walt Disney should be canceled? They'll say they'll likely say no, but I don't know. I'd have to ask the question and hear that, and whether we use it for content or I just, or not. Like I would still have that conversation without the mics. So I understand her point of view. It just fascinates me because that's contradicting, um, you know, the message you're trying to, to spread. And um, well, well, it's not a morally consistent philosophy. It yeah. can't be. And that's why it is unable to, dominate politically. So it seems like it is. And it seems like wokeism is the majority opinion, but it really isn't. And this is provable. They just have the loudest voice. Democrats support the most popular policies in the United States, right? Like uh, paid family leave, 70% of Americans support it. Like Medicare for all, it's like above 70%. Like all of these policies, student loan forgiveness, However, 
I think that they think wokeness is this major popular thing and they keep pushing mm. it and they keep pushing it and people hate it because as it turns out is calling everyone who disagrees with you a racist an effective means of communicating in a democracy no now there's this illusion that it's the majority but that's because corporate america is adopting it because blackrock the 10 trillion dollar shadow bank that manages mm-hmm. more assets that i that's like a third of us gdp i'm pretty sure and they have something called an ESG score and other parts of, of, of Wall Street have adopted it. But BlackRock is, uh, has been destroying the housing market and they're the largest. So specifically, fuck them. Um, but, you know, fuck all of their friends, too. They have this ESG score that's essentially a wokeness quotient that you can assign to different businesses that affects whether or not your company gets an investment. So if you're a public facing company, you have to pretend to be woke in order to keep your stock price up. And every CEO and every board of directors, like, well, sorry, not board of directors, but CEOs, vice presidents are all compensated based on quarterly at the most, sometimes even monthly stock performance. So their focus is keep the price up, which means if we have to look woke, we'll do whatever it takes. Yeah, you don't want to upset the wrong people. Yeah, like, you know, Twitter, I'm going to take Donald Trump uh, off the platform. Now, is the Taliban still on Twitter? Like, look, say whatever you want about Donald Trump. The Taliban are worse. There is Mm. no sane person. Like, unless you just spend your life watching Rachel Maddow and you haven't been outside in two years because Fauci told you not to, unless you're that really sad person, first off, God help your soul. I feel so terrible for you. (laughs) Unless you're that person, you understand that the people who kill girls for going to school are worse than Donald Trump. Um, But, and it's, it's so morally inconsistent, but it's morally inconsistent because it doesn't actually reflect the values of the institutions. They're just having to do it because Wall Street's imposing it. And that's a question I haven't answered as to why. Like, what? why does BlackRock give a shit? Why do all of these old white men in Wall Street care about the inclusivity of of the black and trans communities. I don't think they actually care. So I don't know what their end. It just helps their image uh, ultimately. But nobody knows that they're pushing it. Like how many people know that? Like, I mean, that's why Stephen Colbert isn't funny anymore because he works for NBC. He has to abide by dude. Colbert Report was one of the funniest shows ever. Yep. And, and he went network. Major network, I should say. Letterman was funny. Yeah, they just didn't care at that point. Like, Letterman wouldn't work out in this new culture. Well, because I think they are, they're, they're almost terrified. Like, if I say the wrong thing, Trump will get reelected. Like, no, the fact that you're no longer funny and you're now a state propagandist, essentially, is why... If Trump wins in 2024, he will probably win. He, yeah. he just probably will. And if, if Trump doesn't win, 
The only reason why Trump would not be the president in 2024 is if he lost the primary, which is actually a good shot. But if he doesn't win, Ron DeSantis will win. So then Ron DeSantis. Oh, would be, boy. Which I know is going to make a lot of people upset. And I'm not <laughs> saying whether or not these are things I want to happen, but you keep alienating the country outside of the Democratic base. But here's the thing. The Republican base is 30 percent of the country. The Democratic base is 30 percent of the country. These 40 percent of people decide who's in power. And if you alienate them and only talk to your base. I mean, and that's why Trump lost is because he's very alienating. Um, well, oh, yeah. And he just rubs people the wrong way, the most wet in the biggest fear, especially. And, you know, we can talk about that all day. Excuse me. But um, well, that's what happens when you're whatever he is. I have a friend uh, whose family member owns a construction company who did work on one of the um, Trump projects. And then the uh, Trump or one of his companies or whatever did the math. And we're like, hey, it's actually cheaper for us to not pay you and fight whatever legal battles you throw at us and wait for you to go out of business than it is for us to pay you. So we're just going to do that. And they put this whole guy's oh. company out of business. So yeah, like fucking ruthless. I mean, there's, there might be some credibility issues with this, but there are beliefs that Epstein was saying when he was captured, he was like, look, no matter what I'm safe, it's either the New York attorney general is arresting me and it's so that I can uh, spill dirt on Trump, which I have dirt on Trump, or it's that it's the federal government and it's Trump who wants me to spill dirt on Clinton and I can spill dirt on Clinton. So the fact that he has dirt on both, I mean, no one can look at Bill Clinton or Donald Trump and be like, these are good people that definitely have never had sex with a 15 year old. Like, Uh, can anyone really say that? It's it's fun. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, when you bring that up and you bring how this has all unfolded and just the biggest letdown of the American politician within what since the since uh, George H. W. Walker Bush left and you know lost the election to Bill Clinton. It has created a whole, even though this world has advanced technologically, this world has advanced, you know, in other ways in a good positive manner. And I really believe that. But bringing this all back, this is how corrupted, fucked up politicians have become of the rise of technology and people showcasing their opinions and proven evidence. It just shows their bluff. I mean, Will, imagine if we had this the access of the information and what we could learn about the government during like the Nixon administration or JFK. Like, I don't know if you, I've mentioned this before, but you know, the Ken Burns documentary, the Vietnam war, and they have these old tapes of Nixon, just, you know, bring it down his, his talks with Harry Kissinger say pretty much saying, damn, we're fucked in this Vietnam still while I'm trying to get elected. <laughs> and then him saying like, all right, we pretty much need to have to have the Vietnam War last until my second term. And then I will end it my second term right before Watergate. Pretty much, you know, strategizing like that and just showing the hypocrisy. It just shows yeah. this is all as a result of growing technology communications. Like, how else do you feel about that? What do you want to add to that? Well, first of all, I'll just say the Nixon tapes, some of them are 
hysterical. I this mean, a funny he, person. <laughs> he, well, he's just, he's a weird guy. He went on this long rant about how homosexuals hate women huh. and how they're destroying women by becoming fashion designers and giving these women these terrible clothes. I did not know that you had that. Oh my. And just like listening to it, like it's so. This is the president. <laughs> I mean, it's not only obviously incredibly homophobic and just really messed up, but it's also a really weird stance. Like yeah. homophobic hate women, prove it. Fashion designers. It's like, oh. what? You're in charge. He also tried to nuke North Korea. Um, and yeah, I forget who called it off, but he was wasted while North Korea shot down a spy plane. He pushed the red button and it might have been Kissinger. I don't remember who, but he called the Joint Chiefs like, don't, don't, don't. He's drunk. Let it go. Yeah, like- not nuking. Um, Kissinger. He's still I mean, alive, by the way. Nixon's still alive? No, Kissinger. Kissinger is. is. Yeah, he's like that. Oh, he's old. He's a very, very controversial figure. I remember in the 2016 Democratic primary, Hillary Clinton's like, I'm proud to call Henry Kissinger my friend. And Bernie said, like, I'm proud to say that he's never been my friend. (laughs) (laughs) And like crowds are cheering for both. I'm like, oh, he's. But the the reason why we're having these conversations is why the government wants to censor the internet and there's there is a concern of of misinformation but like this whole facebook insider coming forward it's been proven she's she's being funded by groups um you know there's this billionaire i forget his name but he spent all of his life being a libertarian but then he saw trump get elected and he just convinced himself it is facebook fault that donald trump was elected and they're just coming up with these lies to justify controlling speech. I mean, and how people many people in America it. still believe Russia through Facebook elected Donald Trump, even though there is no evidence that that is true. It has been disproven. And the reason they didn't impeach him for it is because there's no evidence and you can't actually impeach a sitting president because MSNBC said something. Like that's just not enough evidence. Even a CNN anchor, I think it was Van Jones, but I forget. But one of them got caught on camera saying, oh, the Russia story, that's a big nothing story. (laughs) So they want to control the narrative. But then people on the Internet, very like, look at CNN's engagement on Twitter. No one gives numbers. a shit what they have to say. <laughs> no one cares. Look at their views. They Give get me- like a hundred thousand views. There are YouTubers that would kill themselves if they got a hundred thousand views on their least popular video. And look at the demographics. It's all people who are old, old <laughs> people who don't know how to use the internet. A hundred thousand at a time. The only successful person on cable news right now. Arguably Chris Cuomo, who's right now going through a whole sexual Mm -hmm. harassment scandal because apparently Cuomo's don't know how to just not touch women. And then and his brother doesn't know how to not kill old people. And then you have Tucker Carlson, who just says crazy shit all day long. And he's like, I'm just asking the questions that the elites want to like. I hate the elites, too, bro. But what the fuck are you saying? Like. Compare that oh. to Barstool when and they're just doing pizza reviews and showing someone fucked up. Dude, and 
And they Dave were, Portnoy is more respected in the United States of America than Chris Cuomo or Tucker Carlson or <laughs> Joy Reid or Rachel Maddow or Anderson Cooper or Sanjay Gupta because all of these fucking people lie all day long. They are obviously insincere in what they are saying. They are obviously pushing partisan agendas. And Dave Portnoy has his beliefs and he expresses them, but he's also like, fuck you, I'm rich, whatever. I'm yeah. just going to go back to having sex with models. And like people keep releasing sex tapes with him. And he's like, he I gets like away sex. with it. That's fascinating, right? I've it, uh, it's happened like a solid three or four times. And it's not a problem. I mean, you'll have the woke crowd like, fuck this guy, have a consensual sex and stuff like it's that. It's so but. weird to me. And then people are like, by the way, free Cosby. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. And, so, and also, also another thing, well, all those cable personalities are all backed by a major conglomerate, too. So there you go, too. Yep. Well, it's all the same people. I mean, there are only five major media companies and they're all they have all decided on woke corporatist, woke Democrat beliefs, with an exception of the Fox network. But now, look, my I express a lot of anger at the woke corporatist Democrat establishment because they have become one of the most evil institutions in the world. But before Democrats get their pitch for it, Fox. Fox has been that on the other side of the aisle for longer. So I just don't have as much energy to hate them <laughs> because they've been evil since I was a child. So I just like, yeah. it's just Fox is evil. Like, and the sun it rises and sets. Like, I don't know. And, but <laughs> CNN just used to be bad, at least from what I could tell. But looking back at the things they've lied about, lying about things. I mean, the Iraq war fucking comes to mind. Mm. But, um, and you'll see a lot of CIA, FBI agents leave, leave the agencies and then go to work for the Washington Post, the New York Times, CNN, MSNBC. And it's all, it's, it's the intelligence organizations trying to control the American consciousness. But it doesn't work because nobody fucking watches these people. And we'd rather watch Dave Portnoy. And I don't know if yeah. you've seen um, Breaking Points with Crystal and Sagar, but they have, dude, best new show ever. They're purely on YouTube. They're completely independent. Breaking um, points. Yeah. So Crystal is a very, very progressive um, Bernie supporting and cheap uh, former congressional candidate. Um, and, and Sagar is uh, conservative, but also grew up as an immigrant in Texas, who's really? the kind of color that you don't want to be in 9-11, like 9-11, mm -hmm. post 9-11 America in Texas. So very unique experiences, but they are brought together by their hatred of bullshit from establishments, even though one's very conservative and one's very liberal. And their show is, is remarkable. They started it less than a year ago and they're at like 700,000 subscribers. Yeah, I see it right now. Pretty legit following. And um, I yep. see they also have the, um, the podcast as well. So, you know, always love to support the fellow podcasters. Look at that. It shows yeah. that like, I like people, you know, they say the media creates these narratives and people like to create a narrative that conservatives and liberals cannot be in the same place without getting personal. But it seems again, I still have to watch it, but it seems from here what you're explaining that this is an example of, um, you know, 
people can coexist as you know, yeah. like one thing we we're talking about manipulation with CNN. And I was still I still love CNN. I was a former intern there. I just want to make that clear. But um, <laughs> the uh, Joe Don't Rogan, <laughs> the Joe Rogan and Sajid Gupta interview, three hour podcast. And I think it was a fair debate. But the way it was cut up by CNN, in fairness, it made Joe Rogan look really bad and more just emphasizing the um, negative points that would create an outrage, just trying to create clickbait and stuff. But if you took the time to listen to the podcast, you wouldn't have think that um, these two, you wouldn't know for a fact that these two didn't hate each other. There wasn't going to be a big, um, you know, fight between them. It was cut up. You know, it's just natural. You just cut up to make things to prove your point. But the full conversation was a very civil one. Of course, they didn't agree. But, you know, I think, again, it was a good podcast with great points on both sides. But again, CNN made him look did bad. Did you go on Don Lemon afterwards? I did not see it, but I heard it got ugly. He was like berating and emasculating Sanjay Gupta and was like, we did not lie. Like, yes, you fucking did. Mm-hmm. This is why the debate is so stupid. Ivermectin, in some obscure studies in foreign nations has shown to help treat COVID-19. Attempts to replicate those studies have not been successful, which, so what it seems like is that ivermectin is not effective in treating COVID-19. However, is it horse dewormer? No, you stupid fucks. It's an anti-parasitic drug. It is a required drug to be taken for most immigrants to enter the United States of America. Mm-hmm. If it is horse dewormer, then I have a lot of questions as to why we're force feeding horse dewormer to Afghan refugees, or maybe it's a real drug. When your dog is anxious, what the fuck do you think they give the dog? They give the dog Xanax. If someone has an anxiety disorder and they are prescribed anxiety medication from their doctor and they get Xanax, are they getting dog anxiety medicine? Mm -hmm. Is ibuprofen a cow painkiller? Are you people high? You know that mammals (laughs) have like almost the same biology because three freaking people out of the 300 that live in this country walked into a veterinary clinic and literally took horse dewormer. You know what that's called? That's called natural selection. They die off ideally before they reproduce because those are the dumbest people that exist. But it is such a small portion of people And then the media is running fake stories like that this Oklahoma hospital is overrun with people who uh, have been taking ivermectin. And the source that the Rolling Stone had was someone who worked there, but never confirmed if he actually worked there, which he hadn't in years. (laughs) These people, because people are like, why do you hate journalists so much? I'm like, I don't. But whatever these people are, I fucking hate them. Yeah. But there are real journalists. They're just rare. I mean, like looking at what happened to the Washington Post since Bezos bought it, like democracy dies in darkness used to be like a warning. Now it's their goal. <laughs> 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 the mission statement. 
Like, what's happening? Oh, but I, I, he's just also, all that money, man. All that money really shows that uh, it changes people. It, it's ridiculous amounts of money, too, in all aspects of life. Yeah. I mean, look at how much money Amazon makes by running, like, the Pentagon and many other of these programs run off of AWS. And AWS is the most profitable part of Amazon. Like, Amazon, the website, barely makes money. Like, it is slim margins. AWS, their hosting, prints money. Like, mm-hmm. just, so that is a very profitable deal. And then you'll see, since Bezos bought it, the Post, very pro-intelligence agencies. And, <laughs> like, there's no deep state. Like, what the fuck do you mean there's no deep state? You mean intelligence operatives aren't operating against the interests of the American people? Have you hmm. ever read anything? MK Ultra, like there's so many things that that are going on. Proof is in the pudding. But oh. hey, it just shows you everybody really has a price. You know, I've talked about this before. Uh, I've talked about this subject before. I like the WWE wrestling. Me and Ryan do shows on it, and I think showing they're a perfect example of how really money really influences their audience and stuff. They're a very specific audience. They lie to their fans all the time. They create all these things to mesh up. Yet people still come to them no matter what. I mean, the Saudi Arabia. Yeah, they know that they're lying. And you talk about Saudi Arabia doing blood money shows uh, twice a year. um, And they take and risk and, and stuff. I mean, it just, it just shows that, Hey, we have all the stupid amounts of money. And no one's going to challenge us. But now they do have a new wrestling called All Elite Pro Wrestling that um, now they're dividing between that audience. But bottom line, I bring this up because they just know you're going to go to us no matter what. While we get richer, richer, with more influential, you know, bow down to us. And some people are fine with it. And some people just want to have a conversation on why we do it. And that's why, you know, these conversations you and I have and beyond are so valuable. We're just... We're not saying we hate this. We're not trying to influence people negatively. We just want to talk about the things that have been pointed out throughout yeah. you know, time. Is that it's stuff. important to know how much of everything is a lie. Like, did you see the um, the Tiki Torch protest in Virginia? No, what happened? Was this yesterday after their uh, big win? So if anyone... No, this was, but this was a few days before. Okay. So but leading up to this very people... big uh, election of the new yeah. governor. Dude, uh, and it's crazy because he, like, Biden won that state by 10 points, um, and they just flipped to red. Um, yep. But they had five, you know, Tiki Torch protesters um, oh who like to, school, to huh? the Charlottesville uh, event. And then people were looking at the individual protesters, and he came out in support of Youngkin, the the... Yes, and, and just before was, whoever the person, the new governor, Republican Glenn Youngkin won, will be the next governor of Virginia. And, um, you know, as people project, this is bad for the Democrats, especially going into the midterms next year. But you were saying, oh, they're going to get fucking slaughtered and they're going to lose the House. And yeah. so if they pass whatever they need to pass now, they won't. And I, I think the Republicans have freaking mansion and cinema on payroll at this point. Um, <laughs> actually, uh, cinema is getting paid $75,000 per speech to interests that are 
not very pro-Democrat. So they're probably going to either flip parties or collect their money because it's all bullshit. And New Jersey's going red too. White supremacist protesters. What initially threw me off is that one of the white supremacists was black. And I'm like, well, this feels like a Dave Chappelle skit, but I'll I'll give it a second. Talk about irony. They identified all of them, all of them, Democratic Party agents. It was totally fake. They're trying to make him look bad, huh? Fucking Lincoln Project, the Republicans who stood up against Trump, who now just seem to fight against other Republicans to get Democrats elected because they have to do something with their donor money. um, Because it's all grift. They came out and said, it was us. And blah, 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 blah. Almost like ISIS. Like anytime, like there's a car crash in the Middle East, like some ISIS guy is like, this was for the jihad. And I'm like, bro, like, was it actually you? But the hypocrisy, man. And they just tried to. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like an example of people trying to, again, remember we were talking about deep fake people trying to manipulate you, make someone sound like they're doing something. Obviously, they're taking it a step further in real life. Okay, if we make it look like, if we make it look like that these conservatives are this crazy, even though it's us as liberals, then obviously they'll have more liberal support. But it seems this awkwardly backfired, and now Virginia is a red state. And looks like another one. The other significant change in governor looks like at this moment that there's going to be a new governor in New Jersey. They're going to go red. Jack Cittarelli defeating Phil Murphy. I think they just called it blue, but it was oh, really? tight. It was close. Right? Yeah, really close. Well, they thought they had Virginia in the bag, and not only did they lose Virginia, they almost lost New Jersey. I mean, and That'd that's... That'd be a big one, especially after oh. Jersey. I mean, Jersey's very blue, and, you know, okay, I'm looking at this updated nine minutes ago from the New York Times... It's been 88% reported, so it looks like they're still going to have, you know, there's still going to be counting votes. And by the time this airs tomorrow, Thursday, there'll be a decision. But at this moment, Jack Citarelli is leading 49.64% to Phil Murphy's 49.61. But regardless, you know, we don't want to... We don't want to jump. We don't want to jump. Um, jump to conclusions, but it's very, very close. And this is just examples of the changes that are possibly coming. And and I guess my other question here, Will, well, in the most broadened sense, why do you think these big changes are happening once and for all? Are people, these two big states, you know, fed up with, you know, a, a liberal agenda? Does they just think it's time for something to change? Or do you think, you know, it's deeper than that? Well, I'm just curious. What do you think on the broadened sense of these um, these changes? It's interesting because if you look, I don't, I'm not even sure if I want to call anti-Democrat because like mm-hmm. the Democrats of old, like the non-neoliberal Bill Clinton Democrats, the non-woke Democrats, the actual like I'm pro-labor Democrats would dominate. There has never been such a pro-labor sentiment in the United States of America. Did you know that there's a massive UAW strike going on right now for better wages across John Deere. It's like one of the biggest strikes. I ever. did hear about that uh, uh, yeah. on a cold and your world standpoint too. Yeah. Because me, major media outlets, which are let's, let's, 
be honest. MSNBC is a DNC propaganda network. Is the DNC talking about this massive organization that is demanding better wages and then coming out and saying, all right, we need to give them paid family leave. We need to do Medicare for all. And these incredibly popular policies that honestly, at this point in an industrialized nation makes sense. But no, they're coming out and they're fighting. And I think this is the game. This is my guess. They're going to fight because why would you fight over critical race theory in schools? Like at the end of the day, like isn't giving people health care and like fixing homelessness probably just a little more higher of a priority. And but no, they're like, we're going to fight in these these trenches. And they're so rigid in these culture wars that like learning other things. Because Here's where the debate gets stupid, particularly like critical race theory came into a big play uh, in, in this election. So I'll address it quickly. The notion that you should not teach slavery is asinine. And anyone saying that is either a racist, like genuine mm. racist, not just they disagree with me, or they're just dumb. Um, like it's important to teach that. Japanese internment camps, the treatment of uh, Chinese immigrants in the United States while they're building railroads, the freaking Trail of Tears. These are horrible, horrible things that happen. Now, it's important to also learn global history to learn that are these things normal in human history? Unfortunately, yes, with an exception of American slavery. That was probably the second worst slavery ever to occur. The first worst being the slavery happening at the exact same time in South America and the Caribbean, also part of the, the Atlantic slave trade, but in the Spanish and Portuguese colonies. Um, while reading about American slavery keeps me up at night, <laughs> that those stories make me physically ill, like yeah. the horrors that, that went on. But it's, it's important to look at, look, these things were common in human history and America did them but also worse while upholding these truths that completely contradict our own actions. And it's important to look at that to especially make sure that we don't repeat those things. Like history isn't naturally progress at the same time. I am not convinced that teaching young white children that they are inherently evil or teaching young kids of color that they are inherently victims is helpful. Here's where it gets a little more complex. Teaching children that there can be barriers that exist if you are a person of color rather than a white person, that's a reasonable perspective. But this conversation seems to only have these absolute extremes of don't teach slavery in my school to teach your little white child that they're an oppressor and like, hold on. Yeah, we're, we're not about making these labels for for people, for kids who are fundamentally not aware. They'll just go over their head. And it's important, you know, those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. But we need to just di simply do it from X and O's. This is what happened. I'm not going to put an opinion while on it, but these are the facts. And America is a very dark history. And there's still a lot of making up to do. And yeah. who knows if we'll get it in our lifetime or many generations ahead. But we need it. Like, I agree with you. We need to teach it that way based on pure facts and not putting your opinion on it. And guess what? 
we could say the same thing about cable news today or any news outlet. So, but you know, what would really help families of color right now. Healthcare. Yes. Workers rights. Yes. Paid family leave. Yes. Because who is disproportionately affected by a lack of benefits? People of lower income. Who is disproportionately at a lower income because of decades and decades and decades and centuries of genuine racist institutional policies? People of color. So if you provide things that help give people a leg up, like these things aren't even that particularly expensive. And Medicare is actually weirdly super efficient in its delivery mechanism. I was surprised researching it only one point. Like, because Bernie came out and said only 2% of the top 1%, no, only 2% of of Medicare's budget is spent on overhead and delivery. He was wrong. 1.4, like even less than what he said. Exactly. My man was just trying to win the election, the game. Um, Oh, man. I mean, the, the DNC can't have that. We can't have someone who actually wants change. So I think the Democratic Party fights these culture war battles so that they don't actually have to do anything for the people. And also just to be fair on the other side, Republicans fight culture war battles because if they weren't, they'd actually have to come up with a cohesive policy, which is other than bomber rock. There really hasn't been a lot of policies um, coming out. Uh, well, sorry, sorry. Now the new one is bomber and I'm like, maybe, oh. We should just look if they cheat on the nuclear deal, we're going to have to go to war with Iran, but there's no evidence that they've done that. So maybe will they probably, but you can't put someone in jail for a crime they haven't committed yet. Like we can't pre-crime Bob Iran. Like that's Mm. so morally abhorrent. And I'm sure there are going to be a lot of people like, well, why do you, why can't they have a nuclear weapon? Like, look, no country gets a nuclear weapon if their supreme leader says that their purpose on this planet is to destroy Israel, like to kill everyone in it. They, that person cannot have a nuclear weapon. There would actively be a nuclear war that would kill Everybody. more people than all the wars in history. So, and who do you have right next door? Well, you have Pakistan right next to Iran, who's nuclear power right next to their mortal enemies, India, who has massive tensions with China. The number of nuclear powers all connected in in a region. Iran needs to not get a nuke. There's a reason China and Russia also came to the table to be like, no, 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 you don't you don't get a nuke because literally no one on the planet wants these crazy ass people who, by the way, aren't the Iranian people. The Iranian people are fans of Jon Stewart. Like they're very, very uh, have Jon Stewart talk to them. (laughs) Yeah. The government of Iran is insane. Mm -hmm. But, oh, dude, that was probably uh, in 20 years, we will either call the Iran deal um, under the Obama administration, the greatest success or greatest failure of his presidency. But we will. Because it's definitely not going to be Obamacare. Because <laughs> it, it's it's oh. uh, we've it's been a battle for everyone there, and do you go back and forth the Iran Contra affair with Reagan? It's been a uh, yeah, it's fascinating how it's still. <laughs> this but is what your this is what us, your new child's going into. Will 
This oh, is the world they're going at into. At least she's going to grow up in a world where she can watch Fargo, which is a fantastic <laughs> movie. That is so good. Yeah, the show's great, too. Fargo. Oh, man, the Coen brothers, man. You know, they actually broke up. Well, I think amicably, though. Yeah. Joel, Joel Cohen sticking to film. Ethan Cohen is going to theater. And Joel Cohen has the big beard and stuff. His new movie, The Tragedy of Macbeth. Is coming out this year. It's an A24 film, black and white. Ooh. Macbeth is going to be played by Denzel Washington. And Lady Macbeth is going oh. to be played by Francis McDermott. Real. Uh, Denzel just gets better with every movie. He's oh. just a tremendous actor. I don't think he comes up enough when we talk about amazing actors. Like Denzel Washington is everything. An actor Dude. should strive for, and his perspective on life is actually really, really beautiful. Like it's like all about gratitude. Mm-hmm. And he's yeah, he has a very um. It's funny. It's like him and Keanu Reeves. Like they play these guys that just like massacre large numbers of people, but then you like just love you're gonna talk, and they're just like the nicest people. <laughs> yeah, it's like you're a good actor because you're definitely not this guy in real life. <laughs> You know, it's funny. There are those few actors that people on the most extreme sides can come together. You know what? Denzel is a perfect actor. We have a Denzel poster here. Um, he, j- he, he just embodies what a great actor and a great human being is. Like you said, the gratitude. He truly transforms into his roles. Like, I'm not watching like, oh, this is just Denzel being himself like a Ryan Reynolds. He actually... Yeah. Whether you're, whether you're Malcolm X, whether you're a slave in glory, whether you're an asshole in training day, a corrupt cop, the list goes on and on and on. He's the just equalizer. Yeah, <laughs> he's was, equal. And then you know, here's when I know pilot. it. <laughs> yeah, the drug pilot um, in flight. I know, especially that an actor has their chops when they do theater. And he's a great theater actor, too. I've only seen little clips, but of course, it'll be hard to get you know, in there. I believe he may. I know he done. Let me see this Shakespeare. I think he did Macbeth on the stage. I know he did. He killed it some. I want to say he did some. um, Okay, he played Julius Caesar. I knew it was a uh, um, Shakespeare one. He played Julius Caesar back in. He actually played Brutus in uh, 2015. Oh, I would love to see that. You know who, um, you know, was it a really fascinating Shakespeare adaptation? Corey Lane. I hate about you. No, <laughs> that is fascinating. <laughs> no, so Corey Lanez. So Ralph Fiennes was Corey Lanez and then Gerard Butler was in it, but the, it was Ooh. like modern war, but the exact Shakespearean. And it was, like strong apocalypse now vibes in it. Okay. And it like apocalypse now meets Shakespeare with Ralph Fiennes <laughs> and Gerard Butler. I'm so with like, that. It's weird, but I find it super cool. I feel like most people would not enjoy it. I Love that movie. But also, most people wouldn't enjoy Apocalypse Now, which I think is one of the best movies ever. Hell yeah, one of the best adaptions, too, 
from Heart of Darkness. That was a perfect transition. The original book takes place not in the Vietnam War, but was it the which one was like Heart of Darkness? Yeah, it's, uh, Heart like of Darkness. African colonization. Yeah, and then yeah. transfer that to the Vietnam War, and you have a masterpiece. And if you ever want a good, um, if you have ninety minutes to kill, I don't know if you ever seen Heart of Darkness, which is a documentary about the making of Apocalypse. Now, it's Ooh. it's a crazy. Martin Sheen had a heart attack on stage. They went crazy oh, over a budget. Um, their sets were destroyed by natural disasters. Um, they had to shoot in the Philippines because this is right at the end of the they shot right at, a few years after the Vietnam War ended and couldn't exactly film on location. <laughs> they went to the hey, Philippines. Can we send in a bunch of helicopters. Why? We're gonna uh remake the movie. Uh, we're gonna make a movie about when we killed those millions of people. Mm-hmm. Uh I'm sure it'll be dude. The Vietnamese had fought for so long they fought the japanese then the and then they had to fight the french mm-hmm. and then each other and then the americans and it they wasn't for a the break. incident by the way china started making incursions because and they ended up fighting pol pot so here's ho chi minh this communist dictator fighting <laughs> pol pot this other communist dictator but I'm not saying Ho Chi Minh was a good guy, but he was a much better guy than Pol Pot. Pol Pot was Fuck is him. one of the worst mass murderers in human history. Not to say Ho Chi Minh didn't murder a bunch of people, but like Ho Chi Minh's numbers and Henry Kissinger's numbers are kind of, you know. <laughs> right. And, so. you know, another thing back to Pogba's now they shot in the Philippines and they needed to use actual fighters from the Philippine government and that caused a lot of tension. And, and like I said, it's all captured on film. His Francis Ford Coppola's wife directed it. 90 minutes on YouTube. Great, fascinating watch. And Marlon Brando didn't have his lines. <laughs> I heard they just filmed him for hours as he just rambled. Yeah. They just edited it. And it works perfectly. His character is perfect. That shows some on-screen presence sometimes is all you need as an actor. Because... Yeah. He pretty much improvised the thing, but seriously, man, that movie, that movie gave his heart and soul literally to put it on. And it shows some people really have to kill themselves for their art, I guess. It's a a subtle moment in that movie. That's really horrifying because obviously like, you know, machine gunning villages from a helicopter, like that's supposed to be horrifying. Yeah. Playing flight of the Valkyrie during that too. Love the smell of napalm in the morning, but a very <laughs> subtle, horrifying moment is when they're they're sailing up the river and it's night and they stop at like this base and they ask like this American soldier like who's in charge here and he just laughs and it's like what That's the point <laughs> and it, like like imagine being that imagine being in that situation Vietnam was was uniquely, you see, I always wonder, like, was Vietnam uniquely horrific or was it that we captured it on film or was? I think there's a, that's a strong emphasis is capturing on film. No, I mean, it's, there's a little, I mean, there is footage of World War II, but that was the first time you'd have war correspondents literally go in the trenches. Like again, the Ken Burns documentary shows it all. I mean, they show footage as, there's just horrified footage. Like they showed an NBC reporter getting shot in friendly fire 
And he's still reporting. He's like, oh, I got hit. And like, again, in the big emphasis, the draft, (laughs) man. So many people went to that war, not, and it wasn't their choice. And that caused the, you know, the tensions on this side. I think it's it literally a perfect storm of that and led to nothing. There's sadly more deaths and put some great stories out of it. You know, that most depressing part of the fact that um, North Vietnam won, there were papers that have been released from the Vietnamese government where like, if we held out for like a few more months, like they would have surrendered. Oh man. Well, because at a certain point, if you're killing millions and millions and millions of people, eventually the other side will run out of people. However, I'm not saying we should keep killing millions of people to win the war. Um, I'm not like, uh, I'm not going to make that claim, but I just find it interesting that it was a race between does North Vietnam run out of people or does America run out of will? And the fact that the war went on for that long and the Vietnamese lost that many people after God knows how many people died fighting the French for independence. God knows how many people fought uh, the Japanese. And you want to know my favorite thing? You know how like every time there's a new terrorist group, it was always like the CIA who trained them. Yep. Ho Chi Minh was trained by the OSS, the precursor to the CIA to Mm. fight the Japanese. And because we had relations with Ho Chi Minh, we kind of looked the other way when the French were like, hey, our colony is rebelling. And it's like, well, in fairness, you kind of got wrecked by Hitler and then wrecked by Hirohito. And we're just not interested. But it's something about the guerrilla wars. Like, this is why World War II is fascinating. Because the guys who fought the Germans and the Italians and the Vichy French the Vichy French for like five minutes and the Italians for 10 minutes. But the guys who fought the Germans yep. uh, in, in Europe in the versus the guys who fought the Japanese in the Pacific, the difference. And partially it was because the Japanese empire was insane. Um, like 20 naval officers before the war walked in and killed the prime minister of Japan uh, because he wasn't pro-war enough. And they gave him them a pretty light sentence. And then to get them free, 300,000 Japanese people signed a petition for their release in their own blood. Japan was hardcore. It was like samurai culture industrialized. And it, yeah, it, and the, the Harbor just shows all this kamikaze pilots just show their shav- savagery. I, China took the worst of it. You had SS soldiers in Nanking when the Japanese were taking it. And they were the SS. Like, yeah, we should uh, we should put these guys on trains to kill them more efficiently. These people were looking at what was going on and were communicating to Berlin saying we cannot have any relations with the Japanese government. They got permission. You'll see clips of Chinese soldiers in German uniforms with German guns fighting the Japanese because in Nanking, they, they don't call it the conquest of Nanking or like the bad. It's called the rape of Nanking. There were competitions between soldiers on who can bayonet the most babies. 
Like, what went on in the Japanese theater was so horrifying because I, I, I have a friend whose grandpa, like, fought in Peleliu. I think he was first Marines. If he's, I, he's passed, but if he ever saw anyone of any kind of Asian descent, like, come into a restaurant, he would freak out. Yeah, like, you've seen examples of that. I heard stories, too. If you've seen Mad Men, there was... Roger Sterling didn't want to work with the Honda executives and yeah. it shows your point. Oh, and I mean, it's like, what does this South Korean guy walking into a restaurant have to do with <laughs> the Japanese guys? You fought? It's not a rational response, okay. but I guess it the, just took a whole bomb to, to finally end it. Huh? Dude. I don't know if you've seen the Pacific. It was like the Pacific version of Band yeah, of Brothers. Yeah. Brother. I've seen Band of Brothers, but not the Pacific yet. In fact, I've been thinking about it for oh. a couple months. I got to start that. It's, it does a fantastic job of taking you through the mentality of because like as a normal rational person, would you think that you should just machine gun down unarmed prisoners? No part like you're halfway through the show and, and you get mad at characters for not immediately gunning down prisoners because there are too many prisoners who pretend to surrender JK grenade blow themselves up or you know, use pick kids up as shields and run at you. Like the, the Japanese army might have actually been even more evil than the German military in that war. But I think we don't talk about it as much because we had the Nuremberg trials for the Nazis. Yeah. And then the ones who escaped Mossad, like just fucking ice picks them in uh south america with the exception of heinrich himmler the guy who designed the holocaust they dragged his ass to jerusalem to face trial um turns out if you design the holocaust you do get the death penalty um fair enough that's fair but the human experimentation the i mean the hatred towards japan in asia that still exists today because of what went on it's pretty palpable like people um, I have friends uh, who in China, uh, they, they mention how if, like someone mentions anything about Japan, like in this region of China, every person just spits. Everyone. Man, I, I didn't even, I didn't know that. Wow. I mean, shoot. I mean, imagine like if here someone was like, yeah, you know, um, uh, I, I heard this guy speaking in German and just everyone goes, and continues on with their conversation. Like that's the, the, the cultural trauma that must have gone on to create that reaction. All that these relators too. Oh, there is an issue where China has spent 5,000 years um, with a strong cultural belief that Han Chinese racial supremacy is, is there, which has its own issues, especially in modern geopolitics. But what the Japanese did was so horrifying. But you can see a lot of parallels, not in terms of the the war crimes. The North Vietnamese obviously committed their fair share of war crimes, but um, I don't think the level of horror as as the Japanese army, but the warfare, very, 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 very similar. You got traps, you got people coming out of the jungle. You never know if you're safe. Um, yeah, like in Europe, it was like, it's pretty, is the line. Yeah, you know, there's the Germans are right fields, there, you know, and 
So. You, I think, again, it just shows the documentation at the end of the day, which justified it. Like all this stuff I actually didn't know about. Like it's easier to learn more about with the Vietnam War. Just there's just so much footage out there. And you still have people who can account and tell this, their stories. But yeah, I think it just shows there's just so much more to learn and be aware of. And it makes sense why this, this and that and the other. And thank you for pointing that out. And I was just wondering regarding with um the other war movies, you ever Besides Apocalypse Now, by the way, you know who has a great cameo in Apocalypse Now is Harrison Ford. He's Harrison only in Ford there. Has a cameo in Apocalypse Now? Yeah, he's only has it for he's only in it for like a minute. I think he gives the assignment to um, to the Martin Sheen character to find Colonel Kurtz. Got it. Cause that move, that part of the movie, I've almost like, cause there's so much like, so just like ride of the Valkyrie. And, yeah. You know, <laughs> um, well, the you know, regular dialogue seeds can go over your head. <laughs> like spears being thrown at their, like, you know, at their ship. How about the Dennis Hopper character with some comic relief, just playing a random American photographer, but he has the, Hey, he's right over there. You need it. Yeah. Very but, important composite character. I loved the use of that because watching the comic relief lose it and no longer be the comic relief (laughs) helps because the tone of the movie is like, because it's horrifying the whole time. I mean, it It is a scary with Martin on heroin to cope with the war. So it's not exactly starting in a happy place. And then, you know, love the smell napalm in the morning. So the scenery is always horrifying. But how you feel gets darker and darker mm-hmm. and darker as you get closer to the heart of darkness, which it's just combining those two of just heart of darkness and, and the Vietnam War was one of the best ideas because the parallels are so real. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're, they're not a lot of Vietnam war movies that are pro Vietnam war. I mean, the closest that probably all. comes to it is we were soldiers. Um, yeah. The Mel Gibson one. Um, but still, that still had its dark things to show this war sucked. Yeah. I mean, they showed a Vietnamese soldier, like looking at a picture of who, um, of like a woman that he loved and then like sprint with his bayonet, like mm. dodging all these things. And like that one minute scene where you're almost cheering for him. And then he gets close to Mel Gibson and Mel Gibson kind of sees on the corner of his eye and bam. Yeah. It just shows that they have a live too, that they were, there was a lot of them were forced into this war too. point of that scene. And, oh, what is hell? Dude. And another good movie though. Oh, you know, what was also good from apocalypse now. Um, in that final sequence where Kurtz, I cut and Martin Sheen, they confront just beautifully edited, Great direction. Just the interchanging of cuts. And one of my favorite, um, one of my favorite jump cuts ever. He's about to kill Kurt with the machete. And then they do the the cut of the cow getting sacrificed, which PETA complained about. They said that was a real cow getting sacrificed. <laughs> Not the animal lovers didn't like that, but that was just a perfect parallel. Here's this big fat cow, and he killed him anyway. Just and great. It's- 
and like trying to cleanse yourself of your own sins of what you've just done by killing the sacrifice. But yep. the sacrifice is just the cow. It's also this kernel that's gone off the rails. Those jump cuts at the end, mm-hmm. you feel like you've gone crazy. Yeah. It, my mom saw it in theaters, actually. When it that's came out. A, I was actually about to bring that up. Like, imagine the last but not least, you just have to see it in theaters, especially the seed of marching going out of the um, the river. It's an iconic scene in the history of cinema. Seeing that on the big screen, I could only imagine. She said it was not what she expected. I think she was expecting it to be more like Platoon. Um, that's and that, a dark like, movie. The war movie that's, you know, tragic and dark and but I don't think she was expecting it to be like that much of a mind fuck, which that's where the movies I love the most. Her and her, her friend Linda, they just sat there for like, like an hour, just like, like <laughs> not talking, just like looking at the screen. Cause yeah, it's, it's not a movie I rewatch often. Cause it's, it's a tough movie to watch. It's not comfortable. A lot of people don't like the movie because it's it's very uncomfortable because you I can't imagine what it must have been like to be there given in this like two hour movie I feel myself going crazy. What happens to the people who are in it? Yeah, Um, right. They're not a lot of good depictions of what actually happens to the mind and the soul when you're in that. That's one of the things I liked about American Sniper. I think a lot of people got angry at it for being pro-war. I'm like, I don't think American Sniper is a pro-war movie. Um, I mean, this the mental health struggles that Chris Kyle goes through in that movie. I don't think it was exactly painting a pretty picture of what war is. Exactly. It wasn't painting a pretty picture of who we were killing, but in fairness, like Alzarkawi was literal human dog shit. Like, would he have had power if we hadn't toppled the Saddam regime? Probably not. But like, that wasn't Chris Kyle's decision. Like, he's there. Yeah, and the, uh, the, his it 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 just shows that the point of having those close-ups, the distory the the, the disoriented audio tracks, the heartbeat adding that into your sound mix, because now you're this as you're sniping with that, and it's not as simple. Then you know having like nobody seems a kid who has the bomb. Like, well, do do I I have to sacrifice this kid? Yeah, those are the decisions this guy had to make. And this shows the brilliant uh, directing by Clint Eastwood still rock and roll in there in his 90s, man. And um, Clint Eastwood is is a very good director. Actually, Mel Gibson is a very good director as well. Oh, I mean, he yeah. did Hacksaw um, Ridge, which was tremendous. Um, which Apocalypto yeah. is crazy, but that's another one of his, you know, ambitious which one did he do? Apocalypto. He I did didn't pass- see that one. Um, it's pretty much about the Mayan culture, ancient Egypt. It's in Latin. It's not exactly a mainstream movie, but it's it's an interesting take. Then, of course, well, we were sold isn't exactly mainstream that much anymore. Because <laughs> he's made some comments, man. Oh um, man! And the Passion of the Christ. I mean, that was one of the most violent. It has to be up there. Sometimes you're just like, okay, we get it. It sucked for Jesus. We get it, Mel Gibson. The the pain of 
Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's something important, maybe not the movie, but like what Christ went through, mm. like in Christianity, that revisiting that on Good Friday is important. Because like Easter is supposed to be a celebration of the resurrection, but like Good Friday is supposed to be, hey, remember what Jesus did for you. Because that was, because this is the same being that when Roman soldiers approach, like you, Jesus of Nazareth, like uh, I am he, and they're literally blown back by the words. Like he could have wrecked all of these people. But no, he went through that. Um, oh, yeah. Huh. And, you know, and the other Vietnam movie I have to bring up since we pretty much brought up the big ones, Full Metal Jacket, Well, How do you feel about when I watched that? When I watched it for the first time in high school, I had no idea what the movie was. I had no background whatsoever. I'm watching it. They're in basic training. I thought, man, this is a comedy. This is hilarious. He's making fun of him. Funniest movie. For the first 30 minutes. Yeah. And then like, oh, my God, he keeps playing around. Okay, maybe he's turning around now. Now we're going to see this beautiful story of, you know, this fat Gomer Pyle was berated and made fun of. But now he's a changed man. And then, bam, one of the darkest seeds ever killed himself and the um, killed himself and the um, the uh, drill sergeant, uh, Governor Hartman, uh, Governor Hartman, Sergeant Hartman. And then you're like, wow, this is. This was not a comedy. Then he does. Obviously, the Kubrick look shows a character who's going insane. And um, it's insane. And I read about the book. It was based on something that actually happened about a a trainee in the Marines. He killed his he killed his sergeant. And allegedly, his last words is I'm proud of you. I literally made you to a killer. But now I'm dead. So I guess it worked out. And then you just. Wow. You know, it's a movie perfectly in three acts. You can re- clearly tell with the three acts in it. That's what do you think about Full Metal Jacket? Perfect. I mean, I watched it expecting it to kind of, to be a comedy because I had only seen like clips of mm-hmm. like, where are you from, Private? I'm from Texas, sir. Like, you only make steers and queers in Texas. I don't see any spurs on your shoes. Oh. Like, bro, like, what is like, Do you like, suck dick, sir? Do you suck dick? No, sir. No, sir, Jens. You look like the kind of guy that would fuck someone in the ass and not give him the goddamn common courtesy of a reach around. I'm like, oh my God, what is this movie? I mean, he never acted hysterical, before. but also, but to putting that into the context of that movie, mm-hmm. uh, this is the process of turning people into killers. And I mean, they watching what can come of that with, with pile. Um, mm-hmm. And I almost thought the movie would end there, but then them going to Vietnam. And I mean, that had its own horrors that I think it overshadowed by that insane arc with private pile of like, you know, a sniper hitting a Marine not to kill him and then keep shooting him not to kill him so that you'll come out to get him so that the sniper can get you. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, that one. Yeah, that one's disturbing uh, as as well. I think it doesn't get as dark as Apocalypse Now. Um, 
Yeah, but Apocalypse that's... Now is one of the greatest movies of all time. So, like, well, hard to match, oh, <laughs> dude. Yeah. It... To talk about changing tones. Oh, and then they go through that beautiful, uh, horrible sniper scene, and then they start singing like the Mickey Mouse song. It's like, yeah, you know. Um, and I think there's a a message there about how like that becomes your normal um, yeah. when you're in the situations. And it's, yeah, Vietnam was, was horrible. Uh, and you see a lot of parallels to that with Afghanistan. I mean, I did. Yeah. My the fall of Kabul and the fall of Saigon, same exact story. If you would try to hop bomb moving helicopters. It. <laughs> watching. The faces of those people trying to flee. So, fun fact. So, I went to my, my cousin's wedding, mm-hmm. right? Um, one of my favorite people. Um, I found an awesome bride. But so, yeah. Lois Hessert, my dad's sister, married Paul Blowey. Paul is the fifth of, I think, 12 or 13 kids. Well, right in the middle. middle. I believe it was the second um, child of of the siblings married an Afghan prince. Whoa. Had three daughters. I met two of them. Both of them awesome. Two of them were born in Afghanistan, but the family had to flee because um, I believe it was when the communists took over. In um, the late 70s? Yeah. I mean, it's such a tragic story because... It was, I mean, like in the early 70s, you could go to like a nightclub in Kabul. Um, yeah, have you seen those pictures they had, you know, Kabul in 1971. It looked like just three women in a college campus. And then, yeah, we know what happened. It's very Western. Um, yeah, exactly. Very it was Western. Iran before the revolution. Iran was very, very normal. But the same way the CIA broke Iran, the KGB helped break Afghanistan installed a communist government and that communist government was so horrifyingly evil that the Soviet Union goes in to step in to remove that government. And then the CIA is like, Hey, what if we train these guys to fight the Soviets who we then end up fighting less than 10 years later in the form of the Taliban. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm furious about what happened in Afghanistan for so many reasons. First off, the fact that the Afghan government collapsed that quickly means that all of these generals saying, we got this, we're nation building, they were, uh, they're either insanely incompetent and are some of the worst people at their jobs in human history which I don't think you would get the U.S. Joint Chiefs of Staff at that level. Or they were fucking lying to us for 20 years. For 20 years. How many people died? And then... The rest of the piece of those Marines who we lost after, during the regime change. God. That was that was awful. I yeah, that, that's war starting battles, stuff. 
I... I'm trying to, to, to be able to express my anger without, like, really freaking out. <sighs> Leaving people in Afghanistan who supported the United States against the Taliban regime with guarantees that we would help them and, and remove them from the country if they ever needed it. And then fucking leaving them there. The Taliban, I, I, I don't know what happened to them. I'm assuming they're all dead because they were, there were people getting texts from the Taliban with their address. Like we know where you are while they're outside Kabul and Kabul's falling. And watching people try to, to hold on to planes to get out of that country. And then, you know, Texas abortion law is happening at the same time. I don't agree with it, but people making cartoons of like women in Afghanistan and being like, at least I don't live in Texas. Fuck you. Fuck you. If you think that's at all remotely appropriate, I don't care what your political beliefs are. Fuck you. To look at the plight and the horror that these people have to go through, either due to the Taliban or the CIA or Bush or Obama or Trump or what fucking ever. Who gives a shit whose fault this is? Looking at what these people are going through and comparing it to almost any experience that anyone has in the United States is so asinine that you are either a soulless, evil fuck who has no true morality outside of making sure your party wins and you're using the plight of these people for your own edgy political gain, or you're a complete and utter moron and your participation in the public square does every human being on the planet a complete and utter disservice. Now that I've put that to rest, our, the UN has a treaty on human rights of guarantees that every single nation in the United Nations ratified, I believe in either 47 or, or 48. The Taliban are, are a, the Taliban government is in complete and utter violation of it, as are so many other governments. Who enforces it? Like, why do we just let this happen? Why? I don't, I don't get it. Is it, is it because there's no oil in Afghanistan? Like, I don't fucking... Could be we talk about that price again. Is it, can you get a profit from it? And it <sighs> might be that simple. And people, we've seen examples, people will literally choose money over life. And I agree yeah. with you, Will. Anybody who was ignorant enough to deal with people's lives, changing all those children who will not have a future from it, they can go to hell. They really can. And it just shows how privileged and how spoiled a lot of Americans are. And I mean, anybody who'd be ignorant to think that way. Yeah. And I really wish we could just be a movement to change how people act and feel. We just can't. People are still going to stay that awful. But all we can do is just lead by example. And if even if that I will also never. 
write or check a box next to Joe Biden on, on any ballot, not because of the botched withdrawal. I, I'm not convinced there's a way to leave that situation and not have it be a shit show. Yeah. It was being fucking lied to my face and having the United States government investigating volunteers going to Afghanistan to get people out rather than trying to figure out how to get people out while being lied to that we didn't leave anyone behind dead to me. Let's go, Brandon. Let's go. Fuck this administration. And then in response to ISIS-K, which apparently they have more variants than COVID now, ISIS-K bombing our Marines, which who were in a crowd. I don't know if you saw the video of what was going on right before. U.S. Marines are walking through this dense crowd of people giving water to children. That is where the bombing happened. So yeah, I, I think 60, footage. yeah, I think it, it's either 60 people total or, or 60 Afghans in addition to the, and who even knows what the numbers are? You can't even, you can't figure out how many people we left behind, let alone how many people died. So we drone striked the guy who did it. Did we kill seven children doing it? Yes, but at least we got the guy. And then all these outlet, all these like independent journalists are like, I'm pretty sure that was a US aid worker. And the administration, like, this is misinformation. This is Russia, blah, blah, blah. You know, of course, they quietly admit that that was a USAID worker. And those seven kids were his. Oh, and that woman that died, I think it was his wife or his mom or something. But yeah, we just, like, obliterated a family um, of a USAID worker to have a gotcha Bin Laden moment that wasn't even real. I just... I hate these fucking people, whoever's in charge. And I don't think like, I don't think Joe Biden's in charge of the country. Like, it's obvious, like the fact that there is a debate going on right now as to whether or not this man shit himself in the Vatican. Would we have this conversation about how about Donald Trump, Barack Obama, George Bush, Bill Clinton, George H.W. Bush? If someone said Barack Obama shit himself in the Vatican, we'd all be like, there's no way that's true. But when someone says about Joe Biden, the fact that we're like, maybe he did. He's not fit to run the United States of America. He can't finish his sentence. Like, is this the best we can do? Joe Biden and Donald Trump? What is oh. happening? It's I from the generational people, from people of so many generations just choosing not to run. To so much political influence from lobbyists to corporations. And again, everyone having a price. You can never get an honest man, woman or person to have that job. And I guess that kind of turns some people off. And then there's some people who want to take it. And whoever the very first millennial president will be. And I hope sooner rather than later. I really do. No offense to the boomers, but I think it's time for things to change and you know they lived in a world where they got their entertainment from cable from vhs's and um 
milk carton, milk truck cartons. And anyways, I, I, I thought and it sounded cool in my head. Change and bombing Vietnam. They had their they had their things. You know? Exactly. <laughs> like the, the point I'm saying is they had a really, really different world when they became of age compared to us. And we need, in my opinion, a younger generation who understands these new trends attempt to change this world. I mean, the the other example is like to bring it to sports, the NFL, you see more younger coaches. You have coaches now in their late thirties and forties who are leading these teams because the game has changed so much that they understand how to facilitate it. And the older coaches are a thing of the past. That should be what it's like for our new world leaders in the whole world. Not only the United States, we need a younger generation who grew up into this, hugely technologically influenced world to make these decisions now. And whether it's some people who are afraid to do it, some people don't want to be influenced by the, because at the end of the day, you're going to have to go through these corporations one way or the other, unless you're Ross Perot and you're just filthy rich already. And maybe that is the case. We are seeing so many actual move to do. Yeah. They might have to. Like I mean, imagine end. if Ross Perot took over an existing party the same way Trump did. He would have dominated. He oh, would yeah. have dominated. Like they said, he would have won if the they always said Bush would have won if there was no Perot. But um, again, like you said, yeah, they would have dominated. But Trump did go to, you know, we'll talk about you could talk about Trump for days, but he became a Republican. That was easier for him to win the game of the election to choose the secure Republican party at the time. And like you said, that might have to be the move. Now, someone independent just has to have so much financial backing that they can't be influenced by these corporations to get elected. And honestly, we're seeing a world that might be possible. Maybe it's you will, if you want it. I'm I'm happy to fund the guy. I'm not sure if I'm happy to to be the guy, because here's the thing. (laughs) I so this is how I cope with what I see. Yeah. I hate the system. It's so utterly broken. And then you have all these people dedicated to fighting to, to make the system better. While you have all these people fighting to keep it terrible. All right. So like, I'll look at climate change, right? And what is the government really doing about it? Fuck all. So I'm going to start a carbon capture company because at a certain, you know, if we can get to the gigaton scale of CO2 removal, like mid 2030s, uh, we are buying the world more time. Um, I'm watching social media become more and more authoritarian and people keep the left wing has to realize this. There are people on the far left also getting canceled from the internet. It, it, if you are not center left, you are at risk of being removed from social media. The government is clamping down. They are coming for everyone that doesn't fit their state. So instead of just like being angry that Facebook and, and Google and these companies are stupid, why not just make competing things? Because I think we spend so much that's time. Exactly, That's what I'm saying, man. Yeah. Like, we're always like, oh, you know, democracy, this, democracy, that. 
Fuck democracy. Every douchebag that cuts you off on the road, every person that comments on your video to kill yourself, every horrible teacher and high school bully and cop that made you fear for your life, all of these people, you know what they all are? Voters. These people vote for people. So if you want to change the world through politics and that's your prerogative, good for you. I have zero faith Mm -hmm. in anyone's ability to truly do that. The system seems to destroy people who want to make a genuine change. So why not you just make maximum impact outside of the system? Because if you have enough people that do that, the system has to reconcile. I am, if I had more time right now, so if someone is really smart and has time, go and, and do this. I would come up with a plan to actually end world hunger for $6 billion and send it to Elon. Like, hey, why don't we, why don't we do this? The UN is obviously useless. The UN has China on its human rights committee. Like, they're not a real organization. Fuck the UN. They can't stop raping children when they're trying to give them food. Forget about these people. They're all evil. They're all politicians. What can you do? Imagine if 10 million of us all decided to feed 10 people. You would feed you'd feed millions of people simply from that. The littlest change. Well, you're at the end of the day. And what we have seen entrepreneurs do and people who are of success, they saw a problem and they took the initiative to change it. They picked up the phone to do it. They didn't go on Facebook and comment. Fuck you. Stupid, 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 bitch. All that. You're a racist. You're a libtard. Oh, they made <laughs> you've the actual so change. Much yeah, like, comment. you know, Ted Sarandos of Netflix, he got a big fee at Blockbuster. He returned a late tape. He said, fuck this. I'm going to do my own video service. That started out in DVDs. They obviously went to the trend to go online and Netflix is one of the most influential companies in the world and just showing great content on content. That's How dare you say Netflix shows great content? Do you know that they let Dave Chappelle oh tell jokes, Matt? How dare you? Thank God that story lost some legs. And shouts to Dave Chappelle not falling down. And at the end of the day, he offered to have a conversation with these people. And hence why he did it um, to come to it. And Netflix, man, you know, I saw that special. I didn't find it problematic. And it's a comedian doing a bit. I don't think he actually felt that way. And he put himself out there. Okay. To the trans community who, of course, those, they don't deserve any shit from people. And, you know, they have their own obstacles to overcome and we support them. But he was just doing a bit and he's willing to talk about it. And we have to have that conversation, take it up for him. He's putting himself in a vulnerable position where you could call him out on everything, but he's just doing a bit but he's at least being responsible for what he was saying. And he's Not also talking about his experience in him growing through this friendship that he's had with a, a good friend of his who 
was trans. And I say was because when this friend defended Chappelle, people bullied this person. Trans activists bullied this trans person into suicide. And that seems to leave the conversation. And it's no one's willing to say that a lot of modern activism is fucking cancer. You're not Martin Luther King a lot of the time. You're just a shithead who's angry at the world. And I don't, have you ever seen Faulty Towers? It's kind of like the spiritual successor to Monty Python. No, but I love Monty Python. That sounds up oh. my alley. I, I will send you this clip. It's this Please guy do. who's like, you know, a lot of people keep saying extremism is bad, but they never look at the positive attributes of extremism. For example, if you're a miserable, mean person, you now have people you can blame all the world's problems on. And you can say, I would be nice and normal and rational if not for these people. If you're on the left, you can be angry at uh, businessmen and corporations and like this, that, that. And of course, moderates. And if you're on the right and you're an extremist, you can be angry at the minorities and the unions and the communists and the socialists. And most importantly, the moderates. And it's so funny of just, yeah, people who are angry and vitriolic and just not good people weaponize activism as a way to harm others, which distracts giving these people a voice because they're terrified of like, maybe if we tell these people this part of the activist community that they're fucking crazy and need psychological help, then we'll look like we're transphobic, racist, misogynistic, and not working on the actual societal barriers to the trans community. And the rest of, I can't keep, I'm, I'm not, I don't hate gay people. I just can't keep up with the letters. The LGBTQIA, I plus community. ABCD, EFG. We've just reordered the alphabet, but we just, there are genuine barriers. Like there are donors going to Pete Buttigieg right now for a 2024 run. People are like, oh, I think he's going to be next president. I'm like, I, I genuinely don't. Because there's still enough of this country backwards enough that they're like, I will never vote for a gay man. I'm like, well, you vote for a war criminal. Why not a gay man? There's, there's things that need help. But a large part of the activists that we give the microphone to are killing the very movements that they're going forth. And I think one of the reasons why corporate media keeps giving the crazies the microphone is to help discredit what we're talking about. You don't have to look at the horrendous life expectancy of trans people if, number one, we look at the only so solution is to cancel Chappelle and then the people we give microphones to are fucking insane. Like, well, we need to let like, you know, trans people represent the trans community. Agreed. Why did you pick like the most insane handful of people to represent a community? And it's often, you notice how it's always like white women who are like, speaking for the black community and the Hispanic community, the trans community, the gay community. It's like white with yeah, white cisgendered 
heterosexual women. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. What's but there's a parallel here, huh? I'm confused. I thought we were supposed to like they're there, like, we must give more voice to the trans community. I'm like, then bitch, put down the microphone. What are you doing? <laughs> like, give the yeah, exactly. The community. Let, oh let, let, let these people from these different backgrounds fight for their stories. Of course, you could support them, but, you know, also let them lead the charge most of all. Yeah. And it's just there's so much bullshit and and a lot of modern activism. Like if they just admitted, right? Hey, during BLM, there was looting and, and spikes in, in violent crime. However, if you look at the math, it was a very, very, very small percentage of any BLM protest went to that. The overwhelming majority were peaceful. And in fact, a lot of those peaceful protests, um, moments where you see violence is because the police attacked the protests uh, unwarranted. Like watching, I freaking watched it, um, people playing violins in memory of, I forget the boy's name, who was fucking killed uh, by police in, in Colorado who loved the violin and people were playing violins in his honor and police show up in riot gear and start shooting fucking tear gas. I'm like, what's going on? But because activists are unable or unwilling to admit, hey, like 1% of the time we looted some shit. They instead come out and we're like, looting is justified. I'm like, good, you just lost most of the country. You just lost most of the support because... We're now gonna just yeah. Let's have destroy these local businesses. Argument that like property isn't real. I'm like, for fuck's sake, we're not here to talk about private property. We're here to talk about the fact that young black men are murdered without consequence. That is a worthy conversation of having. But you know, the it's like trying to solve four thousand issues at once. And they just can't fucking solve anything because they can't just pay attention to something. Like maybe end qualified immunity for police departments. Like stop fucking talking about whether or not a Macy's should exist in the <laughs> Marxist utopia. Like just leave Macy's alone for half a fucking second. Could we talk about killing people without consequence? But or the fact that the police steal more money than white collar and blue collar crime combined. I don't know if regular like mugging is called blue collar crime, but I'm just going to call it that. Mm. It's like you work with your hands. You got to use the gun, not the computer. To your <laughs> but the police can take any of your assets. If you are suspected of being involved with drugs and you have to go to court to prove that you weren't and more assets are taken from Americans every single year then are stolen by, because we think mugging is where most of the crime is. Mugging, white collar crime, police departments. So oh. the fact that we allow that and, and we're just all, but no, we have to have debates about fucking Chappelle. Like, can we just. There's bigger problems our, here, people. Can Way we get these people health care? Like, can we. Yeah, what, do you, 
Exactly. When you put it that way, when people are so when a small when a small amount of people with a large voice are more upset about a comedian doing a comedy bit than any other crimes and hypocrisy and bullshit that's taking place. It's exactly why we are never going to come up with a compromise and we'll just keep debating until somebody gives. But until then, just lead by example, live our best lives. And then maybe we will find a compromise. And I guess from this epic conversation, well, just one last thing is just what are some great comedy movies you've seen recently besides talking about the Monty Python's classic British comedians, geniuses. You know, I love Kirby Enthusiasm. I don't know if you've seen that or the new season. (laughs) It's... I've seen a new season. I've, I've seen like the first three seasons. I got to continue it. Oh, it's amazing. Just, Larry David, the very best comedy show, hands down. For any of the basic people who say The Office or other ones, he's oh. just like, especially, I won't give anything away. The new season has just nuanced things that have nothing to do with the climate. He could have literally shot these comedy bics back in the 60s or the 40s or the 50s. And it's still hilarious. Like Larry David is a special gem who's up here. Like, yeah, I mean, it's just. <laughs> and the song is perfect. Boom, boom, boom. Dude, it's, it's iconic. Um, I mean, that I mean, some of my favorite all time comedy shows like Arrested Development, Archer, those are up there. I love watching Archer because I'm like, wow, that would definitely be me if I made slightly different life choices. Um, John Benjamin. I love this great voice actor. Oh, he's, and it's funny how, like, how much more Archer he is than Bob. But, <laughs> like, in terms of who he is as a person, but Archer's hysterical. Um, dude. And both of them with Jessica Walter playing the same exact character in mm-hmm. Rest Development in Archer. Rest in peace. Absolute legendary actress. Absolutely. Um, those are hysterical comedy movies. They don't really make a lot of funny movies anymore. No, you know, no. I think that is a result of the theaters. As at the time, the theaters being difficult. Like you've seen studios sell off their big comedies to a Hulu and a Netflix like Palm Springs that came out last winter. Sorry, last summer with Andy Samberg, pretty much Groundhog Day, a new take on that. That was supposed to be a theater film, sold it to Netflix. Sorry, sold it to Hulu and they distributed that way. I think, again, that they just find these action thrillers, MCU, Star Wars, more profitable in the theater. Well, MCU movies are pretty like Thor Ragnarok was a comedy. I will. Oh, yeah. That's how they do that. Um, Civil War was a political thriller, you know. Yeah. Alienating it that interwoven. I am Black Panther is a deep look at racial injustice through. a. I mean, the boss fight in an underground railroad cop. Like, (laughs) yeah, but you're right. But like Thor Ragnarok was. You can see scenes where they're trying not to laugh. Like, and it's, you shouldn't edit it out because the movie is just so much fun to watch. I, I mean, comedies weren't making that much money in theaters anyway. Um, and then 
you add a pandemic, like why wouldn't you just have them yeah. go straight to to Netflix? I mean, Netflix is pumping out comedies. Yeah, the HBO comedy, Max is too. Make, Prime is. Um, yeah. Well, because at the end of the day, they know that eventually all of these companies are going to get their shit together and have their own streaming service. So they need to maximize their own content. So when the rights to the shows they've been showing forever and like, you can't watch how I met your mother anymore on Hulu because it's gone to, you know, CBS's streaming service and you can't yeah, watch Plus. old survivor reruns on, on Netflix anymore. Went to CBS well, Paramount Plus. Yep. There, there's the Viacom one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Viacom, I, I see them trying, but they're doing a terrible job. So eventually, the only shows that are on Netflix will be Netflix shows and Netflix movies. Um, Which is still a great, great catalog. But, you know, it's funny yeah. how they they build off that. But now they're just doing their own. Though they did put the Seinfeld catalog on Netflix for now. I I mean, yeah, Netflix has been making comedies for a while hit or miss. You know, um, you know, funny, I, I, oh yeah. The comedy special Netflix is the king there. You know, one thing I read, so SNL cast members, look, you could, we could debate. Is it still funny or whatever? You know, okay. We, you know, that that's long winded, but they have funny they, bits. Yes, absolutely. Weekend viral update moments. Funny. Yeah. Weekend update is fucking hysterical. Combo the rest of the show, the combo, best combo oh ever. God. <laughs> Dude, when they give each when it's obvious they've written each other's lines to mess with oh each other. Oh my god, that's the best the best moment of the year. Every time, I usually do it like around Christmas. Oh, and, um, and Michael Che writes some horribly racist <laughs> thing. <laughs> and he's just like putting his head down on the desk. Oh my god, they're they're perfect together as well. Um, yeah. I, yeah, and um, the reason why I brought it up, I read this article. They had 18 cast members. All but one came back this year, and they added four new cast members. They say, why is that? Well, the reason why people aren't leaving SNL, you have a secure job. They can't go and have a movie career like Will Ferrell did or Adam Sandler, Eddie Murphy. It's not viable. I mean, of course, you have gems like Jason Sudeikis is Ted Lasso. Um, yeah. Bill Hader is Barry on HBO, but like a Kristen Wiig is Jimmy Fallon. Exactly, Jimmy <laughs> Fallon, Jimmy Fallon. The Tonight Show, um, but, but like a Kristen Wiig. She had, yeah, <coughs> excuse me. She's awesome. maids. She is awesome. You thought like, damn, she's just gonna have a great film career, but it just didn't pan out that way. For now, I mean, of course, there's good stuff out there, but you know, like that's an example of. Might as well keep a secure job while I'll stay relevant in the conversation and try to risk, you know, a, a movie comedy career that just isn't there right now. And maybe it comes back in the decade. I don't know, but not since like yeah. those Apatow films. It really is that the hangover uh, hangover. Another one, not Apatow film, but that was like the last true original theater hit comedy, the hangover. And that came out in 2009. So I think it just yeah. shows people like consuming comedy more through the streaming service now, but you know, and or like through I said, action movies, I mean like yeah. Chris Pratt had to get jacked to be a, <laughs> to be Perfect in a example. Movie, you know, all right. If I'm going to get work, I got to get jacked. <laughs> I mean, he was funny in Jurassic world. Yeah. Which, cause like, I mean, dude, 
I because it's like, well, I wonder if Chris Pratt is funny in real life. And you watch like Park and Rec, um, Parks and Rec, mm-hmm. like bloopers. It's like, and this it's is like, <laughs> this is Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh my God. Have, have you ever seen the one where they were talking about like comeback stories? I haven't seen that one yet. And it was someone, yeah, it was like a blooper where I think it was just like an ad. Uh, it was, they were just improving, And then it's like, yeah, no, we love a good comeback video. And they're like naming like ones. And then he's like, um, you know, Kim, Kim Kardashian, uh, you know, she, she had a comeback video. Like, what do you mean? Like, well, you know, she got like cum on her back. And oh, and <laughs> collapses. And they're like, Chris, bum, what bum, are bum. you saying? Oh, Yo. he's. He's hysterical. He's one of the funniest people. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just a lot of because everything's sarcastic now. So that's big too. That's a that's a good point. Like watching like the quips that like Avengers are giving each other as they're fighting is almost more meaningful than I don't know because there's like it's hard. To build plots for comedy movies um, that have like deep meaning, like I think Dodgeball did a really good job. Dodgeball is an amazing comedy movie. The average um, Joe's, huh? Why the pity the big corporate? And my favorite thing I didn't realize this is that like the hot uh, accountant that ends up playing for average Joe's that like Ben Stiller is a giant creep to. I didn't realize that's Ben Stiller's wife. So he's like. Yeah. Being- to his own wife, but that, <laughs> that makes the movie funny. Vince Vaughn was great. He's he's a he's now a cast he's member on Curb, on the new the last season, the new one too. So you know, what a bro. great win, dude! I okay, you've sold it because Vince Vaughn has always crushed it in comedy roles because he's the perfect like everything around me is ridiculous. Yeah, and- every man. Pretty yeah. much like everyone's everyone's seen a Vince Vaughn type in their life. Yes. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's his role always, but he always does an amazing job. Jason Bateman's always hysterical, mm-hmm. though. He does kill it in dramas. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's a lot of the comedy are things that Hollywood is unwilling to touch. Like, could you imagine someone attempting to make like a Mel Brooks movie right now, like blazing saddles with the specific right. context that hasn't aged. Well, no, it's impossible, <laughs> but I think it ages perfectly because the no, movie no. is, Oh, of course great. I'm saying like people would be offended by the movie easily. Like that's, yeah. that's what I meant by not age. Well, it's of course yeah. a great, funny movie, but I'm saying again, the woke culture, the woke, let's just say the woke culture would try to cancel if we try to do that type oh. of style. But Which is about because the movie exists to make fun of racism. Like yeah. it is mocking racists the entire mm-hmm. time that they're these stupid backwards people that are going to shoot themselves in the foot because <laughs> they can't figure out that black and white people are not like these two totally different species. Um, but uh, you couldn't make airplane. Nope. Uh, 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 Hell, I don't even think name any combo. You know, <laughs> you couldn't do Fast Times at Ridge Mile High. You couldn't do. Um, no. <laughs> yeah. no, you could not make. Can't that. do Animal House. Uh, no, any National oh. Lampoon, you know, type of stuff from back then. I mean, one of the most iconic pictures is the dog getting a a pistol to his head. I don't know if you ever seen that National Lampoon. Um, yeah. 
cover, but like that's the point. Like I though it obviously age well, it's still funny, but it's just people would be easily offended. And you know what? Go watch something else. Like I don't know what people need to understand about comedy that pisses me off. What's there are a lot of people who try to cancel things that are offensive who aren't part of the group that's being offended but in their eyes but it's important to realize that laughter is sometimes the only way for us as humans to process horrible shit going on like i think like suicide jokes are hysterical like if someone makes a joke i find it hysterical because as a teenager struggling with suicidal thoughts, my ability to process my experience is much easier through laughter. Now, some people who have experienced that, that will harm them. Okay, great. Turn off the fucking special because there are other people who use laughter as a healing mechanism, as a, as an ability to understand their own experience more truly to hear their own thoughts expressed clearly in a way that's funny to hear new ideas that you would never be able to hear outside of laughter. That's why I think George Carlin's the king Mm -hmm. because he could just say the most intense stuff without like his bit on changing words Mm-hmm. Like, you know, back in World War II, they called it shell shock, shell shock. Doesn't that spook you? But then in Korea, they realized, well, you know, we got to tone this down a little bit. We'll call it combat fatigue. You see, we got some more syllables, you know, we put some space. <laughs> and then by the time we got to Vietnam, it was post traumatic stress disorder. And they managed to sap all meaning from it. So when these guys came back from Vietnam, we didn't have to do shit for them. And we didn't give those guys the help that they needed. So here he is. And John Stewart is probably our modern George Carlin, especially with his new show, which is tremendous. And he yeah, is on Apple TV. Oh, uh, Apple he's Plus, one of the say. best journalists of all time because he used to like someone would come on, like Janet Yellen, Treasury Secretary mm. would come on and it, they'd share some jokes. And I've only ever saw him on the Daily Show really hit someone hard once who is the Pakistani ambassador trying to get him to explain, Hey, so remember when we like told the IDF, like where that we were going after bin Laden and he disappeared for 10 years. And remember when we just killed him last week and he was like a block and a half away from your fucking military Academy. What's going on? But other than that, it was always jokes, always jokes. But now he's like sitting there like grilling people. And it's, un, it's not even funny. It's like very uncomfortable. But it's something that apparently no journalist for CNN, MSNBC, Fox, any of these groups has the balls to do. And you need, we had to, he retired. He went to go take care of puppies. We had to bring this poor man back into this hell hole of earth. <laughs> Because you fucking people can't do your job as a journalist and call powerful people out. And like, well, we call out powerful Republicans. Well, what about the powerful Democrats? Can there just be one person who calls Mm -hmm. 
powerful people out on their bullshit, regardless of party. Like, well, we couldn't find anyone new to do that because everyone lost their balls. Colbert is now a stooge. So we're going to resurrect Jon Stewart because apparently no one else in America can do this job. And by God, is he doing an amazing, amazing job. The problem with Jon Stewart is John Oliver doesn't do it anymore. He used to. He's he's another he's a hack. He's just well, according to what my DNC masters told me to do. And then you have, (laughs) you know, and not to say that there aren't Republican versions of that, but they don't get TV shows. They get YouTube shows. So, you know, you got to go on louder with crowding to to be able to do it. And then every other episode gets demonetized. So there are Republican versions of that they just have a lot less money because media has always had a left bias and also like i mean john oliver is going to get canceled overnight but like you know what if louder with Carter could just go like that off of youtube um i think trevor noah is getting there though Ooh. i will give credit People I love trevor noah with dan crenshaw and I think Dan Crenshaw is because I, I find most Republicans completely unreasonable um, as much as I hate uh, the Democratic Party. I, I just want to be clear. I hate everyone. Um, <laughs> Dan Crenshaw is an incredibly reasonable human being. I do not agree with him. Oh, yeah. Um, awesome. Service too. Oh, my gosh, dude. I, I read a, I bought his book. I read the, the first page and it was just about him being in a firefight for like nine hours. A bomb goes off. His face feels kind of weird. He goes back to fighting passes out wakes up like two weeks late later in germany and he has half of his eyesight in one eye and like the other eye is non-functioning so he um yeah like intense dude like uh navy seal lieutenant um served this country but him and trevor noah had an incredibly reasonable conversation and watching that gave me so much hope because there, there are very few people who would who would do that. I mean, John Stewart tried to talk about the Wuhan lab on Colbert, and Colbert looked like he was going to throw up. Oh, here comes Mr. CBS. I because the network, even though it has just been admitted that that crazy conspiracy theory that I've been peddling since April of last year, that the NIH through EcoHealth Alliance funded gain-of-function research to increase the transmission of coronaviruses, bat coronaviruses, within the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Like, that was dismissed as a conspiracy theory. That was just admitted to be true. They are claiming that COVID-19 is too genetically different from the viruses they were working on to be the same. But... I just want to say to all the people who said it was an unhinged conspiracy theory and I was spreading racism, fuck you. And because you're actually dumb enough to listen to what the TV tells you to believe that somehow the United States government being corrupt along with the Chinese government, that is racist. But that Chinese people are weird and sometimes they just eat weird stuff and it makes new illnesses. That's not racist. 
what? That sounds kind of racist. Like what we were told kind of sounded like we were using racial stereotypes about Chinese to, to sell this. But so long story short, Anthony Fauci should be in jail. But like John Stewart was right. John Stewart was right. And he was the only one who had the balls to say it because it's not about politics. That's that's letting fucking kids play around with nuclear weapons. Like we can't be doing gain of function research. Anthony Fauci's a fucking idiot because he thinks that gain of function is the right thing. Like, buddy, it's so obviously a bad idea. And you lied to the United States Congress about it. But so John Stewart is one of the few people with the actual journalistic integrity, but it seems like Trevor Noah is either because when he started, he annoyed me. So I didn't listen. And I just started re-listening to him because my mom loves Trevor Noah and I respect my mom's opinion. Um, so I'm like, all right, mom, I'll give this guy a chance. Oh, a Dan Crenshaw, Trevor Noah conversation. That'll be weird. Those are two very different people. Let's listen. He, he's good. He's, he's one of the good guys. Cause that's what we need at this point is we need good guys on every side of every party who don't lie to advance their agenda. I am sick of left versus right. It needs to be truth versus lies because the only people being protected by these lies, they say it's to protect us, but it's to protect them. Like we pretend like these guys aren't all best friends behind closed doors. Of course they are. Powerful people always are. You know? That's why they're the 1%. My favorite meme about this is it's the Bushes, the Obamas, and the Clintons all laughing together. And it says maybe the real inside job was the friends we made along the way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, man. We need people like that. The, the John Stewart's and the, the Trevor Noah's and help. Um, even, uh, even the Dan Crenshaw's, but like most politicians aren't good. Just people mm-hmm. who can have a reasonable conversation and we need to replace the Don Lemons and the Joy Reeds and the Tucker Carlson's and the, I want to name more Fox people, but I literally don't even know who's on Fox anymore. Um, I, who's there's, cause it seems like Fox makes money off Tucker and they use that money to stay on for 24 hours. But, he um, made people those his audience is big. They like that guy, but Hey, I think you made himself. a stroke. You made a strong point the end of the day, have the integrity to change, have, an, for lack of a better word, have the balls to do something different. Go make the change at the end of the day, no matter who you are. Challenge those, challenge the things you don't understand. Ask questions and have a real conversation to make these changes once and for all. Well, this was epic from every second on. I got to say, man, I hope that we helped you um, get through the uh, at least part of your day before uh, your big night. And you it's know, not a big night for me. I just have to stand there. I really <laughs> don't do much. I, I, I've already contributed everything. I can. <laughs> you <laughs> like exactly a solid seven to eight minute contribution. And then boom, men are fucking useless. Oh, compared man, to women, no, man. I'm telling you, women are the you're superior right. gender. You're right. Absolutely right. So, but congratulations to your family, Will. 
We're sending best wishes that everything goes well and that you have a nice new healthy addition to your family and a beautiful soul. Can we ask, do you know the gender yet? Yeah, so we're having another girl. All right. And we know her name is going to be Genevieve. So it'll be Genevieve. Josephine and Genevieve or Josie and Evie for the nicknames. Wow. Well, what a beautiful day. Congratulations to you and your wife, especially how strong your wife is for this. And um, like I said, this is a beautiful day. And um excited to hear the good news later on. And just thank you for giving us some time um, anticipating this day. So um, this was really epic. This is everything I wanted in a productive conversation. And well, once you, um, once everything's settled, even if it is a while from now, once you get things under control with your family and, you know, uh, Subid, no, you know, Trevor Noah and John Stewart um, fail and uh, aren't defending things for us but we know they will. Bottom line, once things calm down, I'd love to have you on again. And um, man, this is awesome. Well, thanks. Just thank you for everything. And is there anything you want us to tell us one last time before we're out? Hmm. Whether or not you want kids and whether or not you even like kids, if you feel like giving up on making the world better, go look at a baby. And I think you'll change your mind. What a way to end it. That's the great Will Hester everybody. Man, I love you. I can't wait to see you, you again. And um, just thank you so much for the great content, as always. Thank 100%. you so much, Will Hester. All right. We'll see you soon. Have a great day. Enjoy what's about to take place. <laughs> 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 You're the no man, cares. Will. You're the awesome. man, Will. I'll get you, man. See you. Will Hessert, everybody. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for being authentic. And thank you for being someone I can create genuine conversations and content with. And thank you for having us rethink the norm. Appreciate you, my friend. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the Productive Conversations podcast on all podcasts and platforms and YouTube. And don't forget to check out exclusive content regarding this show on ProductiveConversationsPodcast.com. And don't forget to check us out in the world of social media. We're on Instagram at Productive Conversations Podcast. We're on Twitter at ProdConvoPod. We're on TikTok at Productive Conversations. I have to let you all know that the show will be off next week. We're just going to be recharging our batteries as we are preparing for a big change in my life. So I just want to let you all know that I'm taking the week off to take care of some things. And I have a big announcement when I come back the week after. Don't worry, the show is good. Nobody's in trouble. I just have to uh, take the week off to um, sort things out as uh, big changes are coming. And we're going to start a new chapter of my life. So I just want to let you all know that. And we're going to be back here on Monday the 15th. Going to do shows for about two weeks. And then it's going to be the Thanksgiving break. And then, of course, after the Thanksgiving break, we're going to finish out the year with some epic shows throughout the holidays. And then it'll be 2022 already. And we're going to do it all over again and try to make sure we have an amazing year in 2022. But for now, as 2021 is slowly coming to an end, we got to take advantage of what we have left in the year 2021. So make sure you make big moves, take big risks, always be kind and respectful. 
be the best person you can be. I will be back here a week from Monday, November 15th. I'm going to miss you. I'm going to miss you a lot, but don't worry. I will be back next Monday for an epic conversation and more conversations after that. So until then, enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the week ahead and make sure when we meet again on the 15th, you are a better person than you were the week prior. I believe in you. Now go make these big moves. But with that, my name is Matt Brown. I am the host of the Productive Conversations podcast, and I will see you all next Monday. Don't forget to check in on your friends and family. Love you all. Peace.